What's up, y'all? Welcome back to this juicy episode of the Ones Ready Podcast. This week, I sat down with Scott Zastro. I'm not going to take away from Scott. We went for a long time. We had some technical difficulties at the end of it, but we're going to bring Scott on to kind of clean up some of the stuff that we were talking about at the end, and you'll see what I mean once you get there. Scott was one of the first 10 people that was inserted into Afghanistan in the early part of GWAT. I'm talking in September, early October of 2001. Scott was part of the team of 12 soldiers and one airman, CCT Will Markham, that we have actually had on the podcast before. So go check that episode out. Scott and his team did what no other team has ever done and probably will never do again in the history of warfare. Their actions inspired the movie 12 Strong. If you've seen that movie, this is the story that it came from. And Scott actually wrote a book on it called De Guayo which was his uh, accounting of what happened in those early days. We're going to have Scott's book, The DeGuayo, listed on our website over at onesready.com. I'll make sure to link it here in the YouTube and on the podcast. I want to say thank you to Scott and to all the members of ODA 555 for him telling the story about exactly what happened in that first six months of the Afghanistan war and what we became known, uh, what became known as GWAT. You're like a one, like next, like, there's a scratch golfer and then there's you at number yeah, one. I, my lowest ever was 0.0. I'm trying to get to plus this year. So. I don't even know how I would do that. Like how, how is it that you get that good at golf? Um, I mean, I practice, was, I guess, but yeah. So when, when I was on the t- great story, my, my father died when I was really young, like I was 25 or 26. Um, and so when I went home and, like at the funeral and stuff, like to get all his shit or whatever. He was married. He had five different wives. So she was just like, Hey, come get the shit out of my house. And he had a set of golf clubs there. So one of my best friends I knew was a big golfer and played. And I was like, Hey man, I got my dad's sticks, man. Let's go play. And he's like, don't do it, dude. Throw those things in the fucking trash. Don't even pick up the game. man." <laughs> and that was right when Tiger started coming around, you know, in 96 and the golf channel just started. So I fucking went all in, man. I got all the books and the magazine. I was watching golf then all the time. I was going to the range at Fort Campbell all the time. And me and my buddies just started playing like all the time, you know, and you'd be gone, you know, six to nine months a year. So you'd like play, you know, for a couple months, have fun and go away and come back. So I've always been, you know, into golf. It's just when I went to PA school, when I went to SWIC is when I really started playing a lot because I had a lot of downtime. I was, I was home for three straight years. So I played a lot then. And then when I got back to and then I went to PA school, I got into it. So when I, it got time for me to retire, I was like, cool, I got more time for golf. So that's all. I mean, the, the biggest part about, you know, getting out of the military and as you know, and, and when I started working for the VA, I would do all the exit physicals on dudes getting out, doing their exams, you know, for the VA. And I would ask them all like, what are you going to do now, man? And they're like, I don't know, take the job I had as a civilian or something like that. And, and I was like, I was like, you got to have a thing, man. Like it, it's, it's my piece. You know what I mean? Like I don't play in tournaments. Like I don't play in the club championship or freaking any tournament. I just, I, just, I could put my earphones on and go to the back range and just hit balls for hours and work on. And for guys like us, man, that are perfectionists, it's a game that can't be beat. So it's perfect, right? There's always something to work on. You got a short game, you got your putting, you got your drivers, you got your irons, you got a round green, you got a bunker game. Like you, you, you could go out, Tiger could go out and shoot a 62 and be like, yeah, but I missed that putt on 17, man. And then you go work <laughs> on putting for three hours. You know right. what I mean? So it, it definitely keeps me young and keeps me going. I do something physical I'm outside every day. You can look at my ankle tans and, and see my wife makes fun of me all the time. It's like a bright white feet and dark skin. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, probably- I just love it, man. It's, it's, it's absolutely for God. I mean, it's no different. I mean, it's, it, 
I used to be a big shooter, right? I was a competitive shooter, right? I shot Ipsic for years. I was really, I got really good at shooting, but man, I mean, you got to get up at 5 a.m., drive somewhere that's the range, and you got to buy the ammo, and you got to set up targets, and you got to go, then you got to drive somewhere to the tournament and whatever. I'm, I live on a golf course now. I can just walk up my backyard. Same fundamentals, grip stance, posture alignment. You know what I mean? Same. Right. It's me. It's, it's no different than, than running a, an Ipsic stage, just playing golf, just different weapon. That is, probably the most interesting thing about you that's actually a lie so scott yeah. we're just gonna hop right into it i'm not even gonna do the intro man like okay. i'll worry about getting the intro done and we'll do whatever else All but right. scott zastro thanks for coming on uh author 18 delta then pa then worked for va now works for povat now retired golfer like we were just talking about here and your handicap is down at a one close to a 0, 0.0 which is something that i'm never gonna get to like i always like it you know I'm a, I'm a bjj guy right so i'm the black belt is always you know the thing that's that's right. for me in the future you you're actually like already a black belt at golf so that's pretty tight so <laughs> good good on you um you know uh, the author uh, of the book, the, the Guayo, uh, you know, the, the ODA that started a war. We're going to talk about all that stuff, man. But let, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Right. So the, on the on the other side of this timeline, right, some sometime back in the day, Scott Zastro decided he wanted to go into the army and he wanted to go try this thing for special forces. Can you can you kind of tell us, tell, tell the listeners about how that started? Um, well, I, I joined the army right out of high school. Um, my, my dad was an army guy. My brother was already in the army at the time. He's a couple years older than me. He was already in the army at the time. And I thought about it during school, you know, but it wasn't really like, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. Um, it's, it was actually, uh, kind of, a um, suggested to me. Um, uh, my, my, my parents went, went out to dinner one night for their anniversary and they went out like a little cruise out on Lake Michigan. So I figured they'd be gone, you know, all night. So I had a big party and, uh, they came home early. And it was, uh, was, it didn't end well. And when I woke up the next morning, there was a recruiter at my kitchen table at the breakfast table. So I, I kind of signed up right there. I was like, okay, at least it gave me something to do. You know what I mean? It's a job. Um, so I figured I'd use it as an opportunity. So I, I was like, I want to go overseas. I want to go to Europe. You know what I mean? It's free, free travel. So I signed, I was like, got the contract to guarantee me Germany for, for the first two years. I only did a two year gig because I was just like, let me come in, get the college and get out. And, uh, I came in as a, um, 91 alpha, which is a 68 whiskey now, which is a combat medic. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went to a medical platoon in Germany and, and I, I, I got very lucky. And I can tell you that it's very weird how that, that first stint in the military can either make you or break you, you know what I mean? And like, I got lucky enough that a handful of dudes, probably four or five guys that I, that I went to AIT with, went to medic training with we all got stationed at the exact same place at the exact same time. So we kind of all came over together. And, you know, when you show up at a new place in the army, you know, you're a single, you know, you're a single individual and you go into a group that's already established and you kind of feel like an outsider, but we showed up with five dudes. So like we already had a crew, you know yeah. what I mean? Cause we already yep. been together for six months, drinking, partying, doing the whole thing. So we showed up as a crew. So when we got there, I, w like, I wish you would have said, you know, working out together, you know, helping each other learn the craft, but I'll tell you that, that is what it is. Nah. When you have that, when nah. you have that crew, yeah. You, you, the, <laughs> yeah. the dorm E3 to E4 mafia just oh, together, yeah. just wrecking, yeah. just owning it. I love it. Right. And it was, it was awesome. Like that, that definitely set the stage. In fact, I still like I, my best friend, Walter, we knew each other for 30 years. He passed away last year unexpectedly. And then another guy, Dominic lives on why we, we still talk 30 years later, man. And we're just, you know, went different, different areas, different places, different paths in life. And we just, but we still hung out all the time. They, that original tight five dudes was, 
was definitely here. And we got lucky enough to have a, an old 18 Delta PA as our, as our PA for our medical platoon. So we had really good mentorship, really good dude took us under his wing, taught us a lot of stuff. showed you know, told a lot of stories. Um, I went to EFMB in the army. That's the expert field medical badge. It's kind of like EIB, but for medics, sure. um, it's just a bunch of skills, skill-based stuff with a written test, you know, medical stuff or whatever. And I, they, you know, they break you down and they, show up as like 300 dudes and then they break you up by name and by roster number or whatever. And luckily enough for me, my, my, my buddy, you know, that they paired me up with was an 18 Delta out of 10th group. So I spent, you know, two weeks with this dude, just, you know, BSing every night. And as you know, man, like you, you can try to fake who you are and try to play the role or whatever when you meet new people. But when you're hanging out at the fire, smoking cigarettes and at, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, like that's the real people. Right. And I, so I got to know this dude pretty good over two weeks, just telling stories or whatever. So, you know, he just BS and like, tell me what it's like. What's, you know, he's talking, told me about selection. He told me about Q course, told me about his, you know, what's it like on the teams and the travel and, you know, and, and this was back, you know, in the early nineties, it was, it was desert storm hadn't kicked off yet. So, mm-hmm. you know, there really wasn't nothing going on at the time, you know what I mean? And, and so it was just like a lot of training ops and a lot of, you know, stuff like that. So, that's, that's, uh, that's how I got started and did my two years. And obviously I was like, you know, as a private, you know, when all you're doing is, you know, going out drinking every Friday night or whatever, you're, you're living paycheck to paycheck. I think my, our paychecks back then were like, you know, three, 400 bucks. Like, I was going to say it's like, it had to be $200. Yeah. 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 yeah it was, I was, uh, yeah. So it was like, you know, it was, it was, it, it, it kind of established the, you know, drink everything you got you know, and try to make it last two weeks. It probably only is going to last a week or 10 days. And then you're in the <laughs> barracks for four or five days waiting on that next paycheck. And then you start it up again. So it got, sure. got me into that cycle. And, uh, you know, two years goes by quick over there. You know what I mean? And um, Desert Storm kicked off during that time. And so I got to experience some different things. And then uh, my time came up and I was like, well, I, what am I going to do? I got no money, right? Like right. I had $18 in my, in my checking account. You know yep. what I mean? Waiting to get paid again. So I might as well reenlist. They're going to give me three grand for a reenlistment bonus, which was like a million dollars to a E3 living in the A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I got that. I went and I got my two years up. I went to Fort Benning after that and and, and continue like on purpose and, like did you try to do that no like, <laughs> yeah no it, you know, it's needs of the nobody army, ever man. goes to like, betting just, on purpose <laughs> as a, as, yeah as an e4 you just do what you're told like you there is no wish list in the regular army like hey i want to go to the 82nd or i want to go to range of battalion it's just it's literally like okay you know hey you came on orders you're going to betting like okay and you just do what you're told I was going to say, yeah, that's, that's why we, uh, that's why we call them orders because nobody goes there of their own free will. You're ordered to go. So you have to. So So you get to Benning. Benning. Yep. And that's where everybody asks me all the time, like, you must have been, you know, really trained up or whatever to want to, you know, be a hard charge or whatever. And I, I wasn't, man. Like, I was not your typical military dude, right? Like, I was the, I was the worker bee. I didn't really, I never really, because back then we had BDUs and I don't know if you remember, but you, oh, you yeah. get BDUs. You, most of the guys that were considered good dudes are guys that took their shit to get cleaned and pressed and had the starched, you know, you know, yeah, to sew your pockets out. down. I never, yeah. I was never that guy. I was washing wear, you know what I mean? Never really <laughs> shine, you know, brush on the boot just to get the dirt yeah. off or whatever. But, sure. but when it came down to working in the motor pool, like everybody likes that's where you got to go, you know, because they knew I would just go put my head down and get it work. And I was, I was getting kind of frustrated, you know, because, you know, Friday morning formation would come up and they would have the formation and they would do inspections, whatever. Like, and this dude, oh, this dude looks good. He's got fresh uniform. He's, he's here. And then, you know, this guy's, 
you know, looks like crap. You know, hey, Jimmy, you get the day off today because you look so good. And I'm like, what the fuck? This dude never puts in any work in the motor pool and he's getting the day off because he fucking takes his uniform, pays eight bucks to get his uniform stuff. So I was really, you know, I, 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 I wasn't digging it. I wasn't digging it. And I was thinking about getting out. And I, I had, luckily, I had a, a platoon sergeant who was like, hey, man, like, I know you're thinking about getting out and this is when you're on, but you know, there's a, there's a, there's a place in the military with a, a bunch of dudes just like you. You know what I mean? And I was like, I was like, really tell me more about it. And he's like, well, yeah. you should ask Sergeant, you know, so-and-so because he's, you know, he's going special forces. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, really? Like, that's cool, man. So I, I kind of, you know, was just BSing with this dude, you know, and, and this guy, it was pretty funny because he had like the, the SF license plate on his car and the little stickers and he was wearing, this, and I was like, I was like, Hey man, they say that you're, you know, and everybody, and he would always like duck out of PT and, and take off. And like we go to the motor pool to like, cause we were in mechanized infantry. So we had all the track vehicles and stuff and we'd have to go do maintenance every day on these things. And he would always like duck out cause he had to go train. And I was like, Hey man, that's, you know, because I had known from this dude in, in EFMB, this, this 18 Delta I met and from my OPA, like what, the path was what the pipeline was like you go to you go to airborne school you go to selection you go to the q course whatever so i'm like hey man like when you know when are you going to the q course and he's like oh you know i haven't been yet i'm going to i'm going to selection in in, in july i'm like you haven't even been to selection yet and you got Old the move. fucking stickers on your car <laughs> like you, you know like, like yeah. 30 you know 30 percent attrition rate right like that, that is that, a yeah, technique bold move. i suppose that is, yeah that is, that's a bold move. <laughs> so i was like okay and sure enough man no bullshit this dude wants the selection comes back in like five days right like didn't even fucking make up make a week right so uh, my patuzar pulls me aside he's like look man Sarah, at this point i already been there like six months and you know my my personality is a little a little aggressive so he's like hey man keep your mouth shut at least he gave it a try. Don't give him any shit. And I was like, okay, no problem. So he comes back and, you know, he's just kind of keeping his head down, not really saying anything. And we're in the motor pool one day and freaking, he just yells at this dude. And this guy, the guy looks at me and he's like, Hey man, like you're off the porch, man. Let him have it, dude. And I'm like, look, motherfucker, you didn't even make me come out here. You never do shit. It. And then he was like, and I was like, you couldn't even make five fucking days. And he's like, I'll take you to the SF recruiter right now. And I was like, let's fucking go, dude. Let's go. I'll fucking go right now. So he drives me across pose, takes me to the SF recruiter. This big fat dude with a mustache, like this goddamn big. It's hilarious. <laughs> I remember this right and he's like, Hey, this guy wants to go special forces. He's like, okay. And he's like, he's like, go down, sit down. You know, he never got up from his desk and he's like, start doing pushups. So I'm like on the floor next to his desk and I start knocking out pushing. He's like, ah, you're, that's pretty good. He's like, hook your feet on your desk, start doing sit ups. So I just started knocking out sit ups, right? You know, and I'm pretty, I was pretty fit. You know, back then I was pretty fit. And, sure. Uh, so I started knocking. He takes me outside. He's like, "See that stop sign? Run down to that stop sign and back." So I take off the stop sign and back. It was like a half mile, right? It's a quarter mile there, quarter mile back. And he's like, "He's like, yeah, man. Like you're you're in great shape, man. Like I'll, we'll hook you up. You know, when October you're going." And this was like August fifteenth. You know what I mean? So I was like forty five <laughs> days away. Nice. And I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. no, should should work out fine. No, no big deal there. Yeah. And in the meantime, we're going to NTC in August. Which is, I don't oh, know good. if you know anything about, yeah. oh, you yeah. know, Fort Irwin in the middle of August, it was like 138 degrees every day. So oh, it's yeah. not like I'm right. going to throw on the ruck and go out and get some, get some miles on my feet. You know right. what I mean? It was just, I'm like, you're out there. The only thing you cared about at NTC in the summer is when's that ice truck coming by, you know what yep. I mean? So I can fill up my cooler. Um, so I did like zero train up, went to selection and my whole goal was just to make it to day six. Like if I make it to day six, I got talking right. on this dude for the rest of my life, man. And <laughs> right. every, I, you know, it was like, it was just one of those things. I mean, I was, I mean, 
I, I'm six feet tall. I was 119 pounds when I went to selection. So imagine this Adonis you see before you 40 pounds lighter. You know what I mean? Like I was just a skinny kid going through selection. And I'll never forget my roommate, like for my bunk bunny selection. We were on, on a, like a rock at five in the morning or something. And we're rocking and all I hear is like, Zastro, that's got to be you, man. And I'm like, please. I'm like, yeah, it's me. And he's like, all I see is this rock with these two little sticks sticking out from underneath it. It's got to be you. And so I just every, all they do, you know, there's a lot of rucking and, and walking. They, they want to put miles on feet. You probably walk 250 miles in selection. And, and every, I, I, I probably quit every day. I just never told anybody about it. Like, you know, like right. you'd go, you know, you, they would just drop you off, you know, put you in a, put like 10 dudes in the back of a truck, drop you off and be, give you a card and say, here's your next point. And you pull out your map and you're like, okay, it's 10 clicks down that way. And there's another dude sitting in a truck. You check in with him, he gives you a point and you go walk in another. And I remember at least once a day, I'm like, man, this is so dumb. What am I doing out here? Man, when I get to this truck, I'm quitting. I'm done. That's I'm it. Fucking, right. I'm just stuck. And I would go up to the truck and I'd knock on the window and he'd be like, he'd, and I'd be like, hey, sorry. And he'd be like, shut up, sit down. And I'd sit down and then he'd come up and I'd, 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 I'd he'd roll down his window. I'm t- about to tell him I quit and he'd be like, go over there and start a fire. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm done for the day. I'll quit tomorrow. And I would go right. and I'd go survive. <laughs> and I just did that every day. And I ended up making 26 days. And it was, it was, that's, that's how I ended up going SF. I was like, I just, I guess I made it. And I got selected and I got back and they were like, oh, high five. Good job. When you and went back I, to it, that mechanized infantry unit though, when you saw that was, guy, it oh, had yeah. to be a little bit rowdy. I can tell you that, that, that beat the shit out of me, right? I had 119 pounds. Yeah. That that took right. a lot out of me. Like I, I, I came back obviously less weight than that because you know sure. only eating an MRE a day, and and so I was I was I was pretty beat up, man. Like my knees were tore, my hands were tore, my feet were just hamburger, you know. Sure. Because I, mean? I didn't know nothing about how to prep my boots. Guys are like cutting things out of their boots, and, and you know what I mean, and wearing different socks. I was wearing white socks and boots and just fucking <laughs> every day. Like my feet were just completely blistered. You just raw dog the selection court. Like the, the just, only, just, you just showed up. No, no train up. And there were dudes there that were like played on the, there were linebackers on the all army football team. These dudes from like the 82nd and Ranger Battalion and the 101st that were like E6s, these big monster dudes. And I was just completely out of place. Like just, I just didn't quit. Right. I just, I mean, I did inside every day, but I just, right. you know, because it was one of those things I, I, I think that, I was lucky enough to do it when I was, I mean, I was 24 years old. So mm-hmm. I think I was, it was like the, you know, young PJs, man. Like we're just too stupid to quit. Like you just yeah. did what you, that's what you were told to do, right? Like you were just go do this, Roger that. And you just shut up and moved out because you were afraid of getting in trouble if you didn't. So I right. just did it, right? Like, Hey, you're going to do this, Roger that. I do it. It's going to suck, but I'm going to do it. It's a weird thing so about our generation too, as we, you yeah. know, we, we talk about that with peaches and Trent, you know, a lot is like, we come from a generation where, you know, we're just idiots. Like they tell you like run faster and you'd be like, huh, okay. And then you would just run would, faster. I think it was because when we were kids, we didn't have a choice on anything. No, we like, didn't. They, nobody yeah. asked us our opinion. Nobody asked, you know what I mean? Like nowadays these kids are like, well, I think we should like that never came out of my mouth as a kid. Cause it was, it was unheard. Like we were the generation that was supposed to be seen, not heard, like shut your mouth, get outside. Don't come back into the streetlights. Come on. Like you just, nobody yep. cared what your opinion is on anything. So right. when I joined the military, it was those older guys were like, you know, my sergeant majors and first sergeant stuff were like Vietnam dudes. 
So you didn't, right. you had, who cares what your opinion is, the E4 to this dude that's, <laughs> right. you know, had a big red one patch on from, you know, the jungle of Vietnam. So, three t- yeah, three you know, tours in Vietnam and Cambodia. Like, you yeah. guess what? Your opinion does not matter. Shut up and right. go work so on the vehicles. I, right. I, I was definitely, I think that actually benefited us a lot about, hey, you know what I mean? Your opinion doesn't matter. You're a witless individual. Like, you're just, and I think that yeah. to this day, like, one of my best attributes is my acceptance to my insignificance on the planet right like amen that, that's amen of, brother that's one of the things that keeps me strong you know what i mean well it's funny in a room so, full and, of you know yeah. of our generation yeah. like if somebody just raises their voice and starts yelling like our first our first like inclination is to like shut up you completely stop talking you look at this person and you're like wait is this person valid oh no yeah i should be doing what they're doing like if you just you you have a friend group and they're like hey all you idiots we're going to the other room or we're gonna go drink in that room everybody's like oh okay yeah great like we're the first people to just fall in line it's like just it's bred into us well it's funny you say that because um when I, you know, as a, as a, as a doc in an SF unit, you train a bunch of your 18 deltas, right? Like your job is to make sure that their skill set stays up. And so when we do training with them, I'm like, look, man, what, you know, I've been doing this a long time. You know, I've been in combat a long time. I've been in a lot of firefights or whatever. I can tell you from experience that when shit starts going bad, right? What do people respond to? They respond to the loudest, most recognizable voice in the short bullet comments. Go there, do this, get that, shoot there get behind, you know what I mean? And I'm like, just, just scream something, point at a dude and scream at, that's like when, you know, when somebody has a target attack, they're like, you call 911, you know what I mean? Cause that's what people respond to. Yep. Combat's the same way, man. Like, even if you're not in charge, if you yell something and tell people to do it, they're just going to respond. They're just going to do it. So it, it, it's, it's it absolutely fair. So anyway, I go back to Fort Benning after selection. Right. And of course it was, you know, I was beat to shit and but I'm like, I, I got to play the role here. I'm like, you know, it really wasn't that bad. You know, I thought it was going to be And just to make this dude absolutely fucking cringe in his thing. So it, I, was, and I approve. I, 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 I level trolling. Yeah. So I got back in November and I had to go to airborne school the following April or whatever with a Q course in, in May. So I had six months there. And I can tell you that that was probably the closest to celebrity status I've ever been is that six month period of you being made E4 and yeah. made it through SFAS, you know what you I mean? Made it. And the, the funny thing is, is when I got to back then, um, 18 Delta, so it was, it was 300 F1. So you did a year at Fort Sam and then a year at Fort Bragg. So it was two year course back then. Mm-hmm. It's condensed now into 36 weeks at Bragg. Um, so I go to Fort, Fort Sam Houston, right. And I show up and I'm an E4, I'm 24 years old and everybody else there is like 30. You know oh, for mean? sure. And right. E E six is, you know, like just, and they're like, who's the, they, everybody thought I was national guard. Cause I was a skinny little kid. Right. And right. back then you had to be an E five to go to selection. You had to, you know what I mean? So they, they were like, when are you going to make E five? Cause they opened it up for a small period for guys that were E four promotable. And okay. what that means is you've already been through the NCO Academy or PLDC, they call it the leadership development course. You've been to a board. So you're just waiting till your points, till your number came up, right? Till you made the points, enough points or whatever. And they're like, Hey, when are you going to make enough points to make E5? And I was like, I don't know. Don't you got to go to the board and PLDC and stuff first? And they're like, you're not promotable. And I was like, well, What's yeah, promotable? promotable. I didn't know. I didn't know what that meant. Right. Right. Like, I, I was like, is there any, are you flagged or are you barred from reenlistment? I was like, no, of course I'm promotable. I just got to get the right stuff to get promoted. But I'm promotable. <laughs> no, I'm and they're really. like, you fucking, you fucking moron. <laughs> so they have, they're like, that's not what that means. 
So they had to have a special board for me at in Fort Sam because they were at that point oh, they were like, wow. if we kick this guy's out, we're gonna look like the morons, right? Yeah, we have to exactly. explain why we, we took him we in. Let him go, we let him go through the entire yeah. selection we, process. Nobody ever checked. Right? <laughs> nobody, so, nobody so, ever like, so they had your, a, nobody checked your package. Yeah, like, right. They literally had a board in Fort Sam with <laughs> like the first sergeant and all the instructors, and it was like this mock bullshit thing where they were like, I had to wear my oh, blue man. dress greens with like two ribbons on them. Sure. And, and they were like they were like, you know. What are the five colors of the map? What's what, you know what I mean? Like what's right. the, you know, what it was, it was the most, it was like, okay, you're good. You know what I mean? And then uh, sure. they sent me to PLDC on the way from Fort Sam to Fort Bragg. I, I went to the NCO Academy for 30 days and then oh wow, it was, it was the rest of history. So as you kind of learn those lessons, right? Like as a 24 year old guy and you have to like take this stuff on, um, you know, it's really hard to orient to something that you have no idea. And at that time, like you already hit it well, you know, this is, this is early now, mid nineties, you had desert storm behind you. So you had those lessons, but you didn't really have a cadre of folks. You know, you had those people that were, you know, did tours in Vietnam. Those were your Sergeant majors and stuff. But as you were going through the pipeline, what were you looking forward to? Cause I, I it's, it's always astounding to me when I talk to guys kind of in your, it, it, it's kind of like in that mid, mid, range you know what i mean like the mid 90s dudes that didn't know what they were really like looking forward to so when when you were in the pipeline and as you were especially you know as you're getting to the q course you know for me it was gwat like i got in after 2000 you know september 12 2001 you know i was in the recruiter's office and i left a couple months later and you know that was that was my whole goal like i knew i was like okay i'm, I'm going to afghanistan i'm going to iraq we're going to go do these things as you were going in the pipeline what were you guys looking forward to um, man, that's a hard question to answer. I can tell you, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Like I had nice. no inkling. Like I said, I, I pretty much went to selection on a dare. So I had yeah. absolutely no idea what I was going to. The only, the only experience that I had to go from was my old PA was an old 18 Delta and he had stories from like, you know, the, from the eighties, right? Like this guy was an 18 Delta. He was a halo guy. He was on the golden Knights for a while. So a lot of his stories involved just traveling with the golden Knights and being an SF team. So he, he never really talked a lot about his SF career. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because it was in the eighties and they didn't really do shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. And then I met that dude from 10th group and he just seemed like a cool dude. So I just was like, okay, it's going to be like, in you know, just another unit in the army and just hanging out. So I don't have a better class of dudes to party with. So I didn't really have any inkling of what to do. And I got, luckily enough, I got, um, they asked, it's funny because when you're, when you start graduating the Q course, they, they ask what's your wish list, right? So I was like, okay, I want to go to a 10th group. I want to go to first group. I want to go to, you know, seventh groups, say or brag. And of course I get fifth group, like it, it absolutely <laughs> not even closely on my, on my wish list. So I was like, whatever, I'm going to fifth group. Um, so I get there and I, I was, I mean, in the Q course, there was some guys there that were, again, you get to, that was my first introduction to S- to current SF dudes because these were guys on their SWIC tour, right? right? So these are guys that were come from the team. And again, these guys were giants, right? Because back then, the 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 Fort Sam part was what they now would probably consider Sockham, right? Like okay. the Fort Sam sure. part is when yep. like the 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 Ranger Battalion dudes were there, the Seal Pups were there, um, and, and that's that was like the what they would probably consider Sockham now. So that was the 300 F one part, and then. The Fort Bragg part was the SFMS, which is the Special Forces Medical Sergeant course. And that was like just to be, go be an eight. It was only the 18 Deltas and the SEALs, right? Because the full Q course 
was like the SEALs advanced course for, for their stuff. So they would mm-hmm. go to Fort Sam Park as, as SEAL pups and then we'd go back to the teams and then they would come back and do the whole Q course as, as, as their advanced course. So the SEALs that were there were like E6s and E7s. And there were some pretty, you know, well-known dudes at the time, like Holloway and, and Al Children, who are very well-known in, in the committee. In fact, when I went back to be an instructor in the Q course, Al Children was the was the head SEAL medical guy for their whole thing. So very, very well-known dudes. And these guys were giants, right? Like, you know, Holloway was with freaking Marcinko you right. know, at the time. Like he yeah. was, he, you know, he was one of his guys. So he... So I'm like, I'm hearing these stories and I'm a, you know, 25 year old, 24 year old E4. Like I'm looking at giants, man. And I'm yeah, like, these guys legends. are legends. And, right. and these guys are huge, right? Like these guys are a couple dudes were, you know, best ranger battalion competition. And so these guys are like 6'2", 6'3", 225 pounds, just going to the gym every day, crushing it. And I'm just like in the corner, like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, how, <laughs> I, I absolutely, it was, it was, you could play that game all day if one of these things is not like the other. Like, I absolutely stuck out in every, stuck out in every formation, right. every class, you know, but I had already been a medic. So I was kind of, you know, a little, I wasn't totally behind the power curves. A lot of these dudes were like infantry dudes and whatever. So they didn't have any medical background. So, those guys kind of would come to me and be like, Hey man, what do they mean when they say blah, blah, blah? And I was like, wow, like, these dudes, like any other day of the week would be a mentor and a hero to me. And these guys are coming in and asking my opinion on medical stuff or just because I was at 91 alpha. And as we all know, like combat medics literally don't know shit. They're white belts in medicine, right? Like they, right. they, they absolutely right. know. So, okay. Well, I better fake, you know, pretending like I know what I'm doing here. So I, I and I mean, we had, 117 people in our class and we graduated with 38. So it was a, it was a, you know, kept getting smaller and smaller, 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 smaller. And this was back when, you know, at trauma three was the big one. That was like your, you know, culmination exercise of, you know, get a, get your aid bag, go down moulage casually. You know what I mean? And there was, you know, it, it was instructor roulette, man. Like you get a guy that, you know, you walk down, as soon as you put your hands on, they're like, Oh, you lost C-spine control. You're fired. And they would, you know, as soon as they say go, Within three minutes, dudes are walking back up the hill, and you're like, oh, "What the hell God. did you screw up in that?" So it was such a just random. Is, am I going to make it? There was go no goes on a weekly basis for two years. That guys would just great dudes that ended up in the 82nd as medics or, or whatever. Right. Just the luck of the draw that you got a good instructor that you know the moon's aligned for you that day. I just. I can't explain how I made it or why I made it, or I'm not better than any of the other dudes that didn't make it. It's just, I got the moons aligned that day and, yeah. and I made it. Obviously I picked up some, you know, a skill set and was able to, you know, tap my head, rub my belly and stand on one foot in the right order at the right time and made it through. Cause back then, you know, if, if you didn't get two IVs going in the first 10 minutes, you were a no go. That was so it. You had to do your primary survey and you had to start two IVs in 10 minutes. And that was yeah. like the cutoff. If you, if you could do that, you were good. And luckily enough, I, you know, obviously being a, a medic, my, you know, prior to that, that 18 Delta PA at least taught me how to train correctly, right? Like he, we had 25 dudes in our platoon. He'd be like, all right, Scott stays your turn. He would line up the other 24 guys and I would just go down and start an IV on all 24 dudes. And then the next week it was Bill's turn and we would all sit down and put yeah. our arms out and he would start 24 IVs just to get to the habit of where you could do it without thinking about it. And so I went down there. At least I had an IV skill. That was their big thing back then. Obviously we don't do that 
is not as much emphasis on that. It's crazy, right? Then, yeah. That was like, you weren't a good medic unless you could start an IV. Two large bore IVs. Skill set. Yeah. I had that yeah. skill set down pretty good. So I, I mean, it was, it, so to see these dudes in the Q course, I was, I felt so out of place the entire time because of the disparity between what I thought they were and where I thought I was in the hierarchy of the military at the time that I always felt like I didn't belong. And then I ended up making it and I get to group and same thing. Like the, I was 25 years old or 24 years old, just about to turn 25 when I showed up to the teams and the next longest guy was 31. Right. So, I mean, when you got a seven year gap between you and the next dude, I mean, I was cherry for five years. Right. Like it was, yeah. you know, shut up cherry for five years. I mean, it was just, I was always the young guy trying to learn thing. Right. And so I just kept the mentality of, I'm going to try to stay fit and I'm going to try to be a sponge and learn everything for everybody. So after a couple of years of being called cherry, this cherry, that I'm like, look, man, I'm still a cherry because you, you haven't taught me anything yet. Like you teach me something. I won't be shitty at it anymore. So right. I was, I was always just the young go-getter party dude, like trying to beat everybody. Like if I can out PT this dude, I out shoot this dude whatever I can, I'll have, cause you know, at that, at that young age, it's, you know, obviously, you know, combatives was a big thing. That's when the, the UFCs first started out. So we started getting into jujitsu real quick, you know, and, and that was another way. So it, it's just, if I just try to beat this guy, you know, at this, so I'm going to put, I was that all in guy, right? Like I didn't care about like, what are we doing now? Oh, we're shooting now. We're doing pistols now. All right. I'm going to go buy a pistol and a race gun and I'm going to start shooting Ipsic on the weekends. And I'm going to try to beat him at that. That's just another thing that I can show, say I'm better than you at. Right. And over time, when you continuously start beating people at everything that you try to do with them, you start gaining a little confidence in yourself and your abilities. Right. And people can call it cockiness and arrogance or whatever. But when you continually beat people at things that, you do in your life, you're going to gain a little bit of confidence in there. So that it's this over the years at four or five, six years of doing that, you know, you start gaining confidence in people and pretty soon people, you're not the young guy anymore. Yeah. We so, call that being a subject it, matter enthusiast. You're going to be a subject matter yeah. expert at one point, but when you just all, you know, I, I love hearing you say, I, I was just all into everything. Like stuff popped up and I was, I was all in, I was just going to be the best at that one yeah, specific it's funny. skill set. You know who, uh, you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? Yeah. Like he's a big, uh, like he's that it's, it's funny that, you know, people are kind of gravitating to him and he's such a big, you know, speaker and that's kind of his shtick, right? Like screw everything else. Like whatever I'm doing at the time, I'm just going to go all in on that and be great at this one task. And I'm going to put everything I am into learning this one task and being great at it. And then, you know, okay, well, when I'm bored of that, I'm going to move on to this one, but then I'm going to go all in on that one too, you know, screw everything else, be, you know, go all in on what you're great at. And, and that's, that's what I'm doing with golf right now is just, I'm just, you know, and, and that's why, I mean, I tell people all the time, my medics would, would ask me all the time when I was a doc that, you know, you know, I, to me, there's no such thing as real 18 Delta, right? Like they, it's just, it's too much, right? Like you got to yeah. know veterinary medicine, dental medicine, trauma medicine, 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 infectious disease, NBC, like there's just, that's too much. Remember each one of those is especially in medicine, right? Right. Like there's a yeah. doctor for the foot, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. you go to a, my buddy's wife, an orthopedic surgeon, you go, you go to Kim and you're like, Hey man, I got this heart. And she's like, I don't know anything about the heart, dude. I just <laughs> like, what am right. I, what am I supposed to do with it? You know, like, you bring me sure. your shoulder, I'm your, I'm your guy, but you come to me with headaches and you should go see this dude, you know, that's right. why we have PAs. So I don't have to deal with that bullshit. Right. Right. So you, you, there's life in general takes, it's, it's too much as far as skill sets. For, so whenever I hear somebody, you know, or see somebody on social media, that's, 
you know, comes from our background and giving their opinion on politics or whatever. I'm like, dude, you, you, there's no way you can be good at, at, at everything. There's no right. way. And anybody who portrays himself as trying to be good at and great at everything is obviously full of shit, right? Like you can right. only be really good at a handful of really small particular tasks and skill sets. And it, and that's only if you go all in on, right? If you're, if I go half ass in on golf and then, and then because I want to be good at, at fighting again or whatever, like I got the, you know, century Bob in my garage and I use that as my workout you know I mean? and, and try to still, you know what I mean? But I, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm too brittle now to, to be rolling with you on the mat anymore. You know, I got up to a purple belt and, 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 and with, uh, with, um, JJ Mikado and, and he was, he was big at, at, he had a studio at Bragg and so I was really into fighting for a while and I was just like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm too small. I'm getting rolled up and I started getting, I started getting injured all the time, right? Like I got bad shoulder yeah. because of it and bad yeah. elbows because of it. Cause I would just too stupid to tap at all tall. And you know what I mean? And it was, it was, but I tried, it was great for staying in shape and it's a great skill set to have, but you know, as well as I do, unless you're dedicating yourself to jujitsu, you can't half ass it in there, dude. No. You got to go all in, right? Yep. Like, you know, you'll get, you'll get, you'll get wore out and you'll, I mean, you'll, you'll get choked out by, by a yellow belt or, or a, a blue belt easily if you're just not paying attention and you're, you're not all in on it. So I, I, I pick, you try to pick something that you're good at and whatever. So back then that was the deal, right? Like, let's go all in on this until we get good at it. And just over a long period of time, like, you know, I, I, I blinked and it's, you know, it's, I was 30. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, cause you're, you're just, you know, in the nineties, like you said, it really wasn't much going on. You know what I mean? So it was a lot of, it was a lot of training ops and Clinton was in power. So he really dwindled down the military, mm -hmm. you know, and people didn't like him, but we loved it because we were, we were busy all the time. Like, like we're, I was, I mean, you're talking about max per diem trips on, on the reg, man, like, you know, 60, 90 day trips, you know, going to Saudi Arabia for the, you know, Saudi Arabian national guard, which is a hundred dollars a day for a hundred days, right? Like, you know, you're, you're 28 years old. Somebody's handing you 10 grand. Like, yes. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm a millionaire. I'm rich. You know, like, uh, that was that was back when you saw, you know, you could tell the the SF dudes by their ex-wives and their sports cars is because we were TDY all the time. So everybody had a Harley, everybody had a nice car, everybody was, you know, their wives were doing were 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 awesome. They they hung out, you know, we had a small team, but we only had ten guys in the team at the time. So so all the wives hung out when we were gone. You know, it was it was a very I again just like I said, when I first joined the military, I had that small group of dudes. When I first joined SF, we had such a small team. We were very tight, hung out. You know, I, I've seen it all in my 20 years on the teams of I've been on teams that were super tight. Everybody hung out on the weekends. Their wives all hung out together. Even when we were gone, the wives would go and go out to dinner and go to shows and concerts and whatever. And then I've been on teams where as soon as that whistle blew, everybody took off. Nobody yeah. talked to each other weekends. It was so it was, it was I, I got lucky enough that my first team was a tight group and the team starting at the time and the team leader at the time were the, when I first got to fifth group, remember it was 94. So it was just past desert storm and just past Somalia mm -hmm. and fifth group did both of those, yep. right? There was no seventh group or third group or 10th group in Somalia or in, in desert storm at the time. So fifth group had the only combat experience when I first showed up and my team started my team leader, there is a book out there called, um, I think it's called in the eye of the hurricane. Okay. Um, and it was about that time. And the guys in that book were my team. So like ODA five, four, five, which is the scuba team downstairs. The 
Terry Peters, Don Alexander, DJ Joy, like those guys went four or five at the time. So they were written about there's pictures of them in that book. And I'm like, and I get there and they're like, Oh, these guys are, you're lucky you went to that team. Like those guys got a lot of experience. Hey, check out this book. There's your team leader. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> these are fucking <laughs> legends. You know, well, that had, so yeah. I, I was lucky enough to get mentored by some pretty baller ass dudes, man. Like Terry Peters was, was one of the instructors in the Q course that I did was absolutely just the guy, man. Like when he walked in, he commanded attention. Like this dude was, everybody shut up. Even all the instructors were like, that's the guy. Right. And when I got to fifth group, he was the team sergeant of five, four, five. When I got there and DJ and Don were the team leader and team sergeant of my team. So it, it was, it, it was funny because none of them would talk to me at the time because I didn't have a school bowl. <laughs> Like it was, uh, yeah, I was like, you know, cause he would, Peters would come to our team room, team room to talk to his boys. Right. And, and I'd be like, Hey, sorry, Peters, you were a constructor in the Q course. He just look at me and wouldn't say words, just look at me and just shake his head. And look just away. disgust. I was like, just- okay, I know. Yeah. Just absolute disgust. And I was like, Oh, I guess I know where I went with that dude. And then he would leave and I would talk to my team. And I'd be like, Don, what? that guy won't even look at like, he's a, he's a hero, man. Like he won't even, he's like, he's not going to talk to you if you're not a diver. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. so I look, I'd be you like, never oh, made it. Down? Yeah. <laughs> you, like, how do, how do, how do I become a diver? You know what I mean? So yeah. he, I, I spent the next couple of years trying to learn how to be a diver. So I, you know, again, one of those things, man, went all in. My, yeah. One of the guys I went to the Q course was with was at the time was the medic on the triple nickel. And I'm like, Steve, I want to, and he, he actually approached me and was like, Hey man, I, I we want to send you to DMT. Mm-hmm. because and you know it's okay to be a dry dmt if you're a dry dmt then you can come cover our dives and i can dive with the boys right mm-hmm. like i hate being a, a medic on this team because i have to cover all the dives and i can never train with them so if you go to dmt you can come with us and go on the trips with us and go to recalls with us and you can just stay dry and party with us and cover the dives and i can go do all the mission stuff so i was like oh, sure great idea right so they sent me to dmt um, I went down to Key West for the first time, first exposure to all the divers, or whatever, in the compound and, and everything. And I went to DMC and I made that. I and I started hanging out with the nickel all the time and ODA 555 and started hanging out with them all the time. And while we were on these recalls, I'm like, hey, man, like one dude at a time would just take me to the pool and teach me an event. Sure. Like, hey, I'm going to like, you know, Kieran's good on the 50 meters, so he's going to teach you how to swim underwater. You know, Bob's good on the wake belt swim and Finnan, so he's going to teach you. And then they would go out on their dives and the safety boat that I was in, and the guy would just be like, hey, you know, while, they, while they're diving into Target, you're just going to get out and surface swimming. You know what I mean? And then, right. so I would just, I would, I'm like, well, and I hate, I am absolutely, like, again, I'm tall and skinny. I have chicken legs. I absolutely am horrible on the on surface swims and finning. I freaking worst bicycle kick you ever saw. <laughs> right. Worst, worst navigator. You know what I mean? I'd be like way off this way and then way off this way. And like, I, you know, cause I'm too lazy to tilt my head up. So I would just turn and sure. I would just, I'm, you know, in, in scuba school, they called me Zastro the water swap because I was always the last guy in and ever swim team 13 or whatever, like the worst freaking dude. But again, you know, too stupid to quit kind of thing. Just made it. So when did you get out of that? I, I, I went to school school in, in 99. Okay. So, um, so came back and they, at that point they, I changed teams, went to the nickel, um, did a, did a couple recalls with them right away. A couple trips with them, a couple did a JTF six in Galveston with the, with the, um, the cops down there, which was one of my favorite trips of all time. Cause, um, their SWAT compound was on the airfield. 
Okay. That shot over the water. Cause it's a one by five island. So it's a very narrow island down in Texas. And, uh, so their, their SWAT to shoot, they would just shoot out into the ocean. Um, so their SWAT compounds was on, was on the backside of the airfield at the airport. The only way you could get to the SWAT compound, you had to cross the airfield. The only way you could cross the airfield is if you had a vehicle with lights on it. So as a medic vehicle, they gave me a SWAT car. Nice. Not a smart move. In fact, even the team sergeant <laughs> was like, look, man, I, I, I understand you got to have medical support, but giving Scott a fucking squad car is probably not. Uh-huh. I'm just telling you right now, yeah. I am absolutely not responsible for anything that happens to that vehicle or anything that happens inside that vehicle for the next three weeks. And That's it fantastic. was just. I love how like, everybody knew dude, it too. Everybody was just like, no, oh, yeah. this, is, this is bad. Don't, oh, give, yeah. don't give him a squad Literally, car. Don't do that. First day. First day. I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but first day. We're driving back to the freaking hotel and these two hot chicks in one of those Toyota Red Bull RAV4s, you know, with the Red Bull sure. can yeah. on top. Yeah, like, yeah. Pull up next. And we're in, uh, we're in UDTs and Tivas and Team T-shirts. Just putting right? the vibe and, out, baby. That's it. You oh, can't yeah. help and it. You can't, you right. can't keep the vibe in. The vibe gets out. That's what happens, that's, man. That's they can, they can that's feel what, it. That's all you wear. That's why you that's feel like, it. That's combat casual, baby. And we're just, <laughs> yeah. They pull up next to us in this fucking car and they're just like, woo, hey, hey. And we're just like, I'm like, hey, is that, is that car even legal? And they're like, what do you care, pig? And they just drive away. And I'm just like, what the fuck? So I'm like, trying to flip the switches. I'm like, which one of these things turns the lights on? So we pull these chicks over, man. And we're like, they're like, you're not even a cop. Who do you think we stole a car? And, and yeah, long story short, they, they, we got, we got counseled like later that day. Like, did you guys? Cause you're pull pulling people Cause they literally. We're on the side of the road, standing out there in UDTs and T-Bus. It was very obvious we were not police. Right. right. We were Super police. obvious. So, well, yeah, so was, that gets us, you know, it, it sort of lays all these bricks, right? Like, you know, I kind of talked about it beforehand, but what are we looking forward to? And, and kind of what are, you, what are you getting ready? You've been a subject matter enthusiast. And, you know, it, I was laughing when you were talking about, you know, the guys that would teach you just like one, you know, one uh, exercise at dive school, like getting you ready to go to dive school. Like, it's like you're the karate kid. Like, why am I painting this fence? Like, I don't know why I'm painting. Like, right. Why am I learning to do a 50? Oh, it's because I'm going to do this in dive school. And, and your whole career up until this point has been that. Like, going to SF, you know, selection on a dare, going through the pipeline and the way that you did, just showing up and being like, well, you got to have a board for me because I'm here. <laughs> and uh, yeah. te- technically, you're supposed to have this thing. But, you know, now we're getting to, you know, 2001 happens. So mm-hmm. September 11, 2001 you know, you, you, you'd already been established on the team. I, I assume at this point you were the senior 18 Delta on your team. Were you not like you probably weren't junior yeah. at this point? I was already, uh, I was, I was at E7 at the time. So I had already right. been to, um, ANOC, which is the advanced non-commissioned officer of school. Uh, it's back then it was, you know, six months at Fort Bragg, which sure. is absolute, like sitting in a, in a classroom PowerPoint death every day. The worst. Um, Yeah. What I didn't go into is during that time of 95 to 2000, that five year period of, of just going on trips, right? Like going, you know, demining in Africa, med caps to Djibouti, mm-hmm. uh, went to the refugee camps in Kenya, which was horrible. Been to Somalia, um, was all, all over the country just doing like JTF six, you know, things with cops, um, you know, been to Saudi Arabia and Oman and, and, Kuwait a couple of times we used to do Iris gold rotations, which was 90 days in Kuwait, you know, at the border of Iraq to where Ali Asalim was. That's where you guys, the, the PJs that we work with were out of. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time, it was, it was again, the young guy and the team that five year period, again, there was such a big gap between me and the dudes 
And even though I was like the young clown and the jackass and the freaking, you know, hot, you know, I want to be seen. I had, I had weak self-esteem. So I wanted, I wanted people in the PX to see me with my green beret type thing. Cause I had, you know, I was young and stupid and look how cool I am. Um, I, I never really felt like I belonged. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I was always, because I was the young girl, I was always an outsider, always felt the need that I had to prove myself, whether it was, I could run faster than you, shoot better than you, you know, everything's a competition. I could pick up a chicken, a bar, you know, on a TDY trip. I, I was, I was just, I had absolutely no identity or self-worth to the point where I felt like I actually belonged. I, I mean, at any given time, I thought somebody would just walk into the team room and be like, Hey man, come on. Like, yeah, you know, that's an you're, imposter you're, syndrome, you man. absolutely, you absolutely don't belong here. You know, it. we know it. Let's go. Every, and I yeah. would have been like, okay, you know, yep. no problem. Yeah. You got me like, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate the time that I got to spend here. And I would have just packed my shit left and went back to yep. the 82nd or whatever. Like I just kept <laughs> waiting for that to happen and yep. it never did. And I, I blinked and now I'm an E7 and I'm a senior guy. Right. You know what I mean? And, and it just, that whole fake it till you make it thing. Like I made it, like I, I faked it for five years in, right. in, in, you know, trying to do it. And all of a sudden I made it. Now people are coming to me, looking to me like I had experience or whatever. And then, like you said, nine eleven happened and, and it was obviously, you know, everybody remembers where they were at that time. And, right. you know, they, Fort Campbell at the time was already a closed post. Most posts were open where you could just drive in and out, but Fort Campbell actually had a gate with MPs at the gate, you know, air assault when you walk in, you know, if you had to have the right, you know, the blue sticker or the red sticker if you were yep. listed back in the day. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. It, it, it didn't really change much at Fort Campbell. It just is a longer line getting in because now they're doing the mirrors under the car before you go in. And sure. It was the first couple of days we were actually running a pre scuba at the time. So, it, so we were, you know, we, we was like, you know, what do we do? We we're like, you know, obviously that day, you know, actually this, the start of the book kind of starts out there and that of us running the pre scuba, it was just, we were at the pool when it happened. And so we come in at five o'clock in the morning for PT. So as instructors were coming at four thirty, so there wasn't really much traffic coming through the gate it was pretty easy. But at the time, you know, like every, every unit in the army felt like they had to do something. Right. Sure. Like we're at war. We're, we got attacked. We should we're be at war, boys. So, yep. like, all these little units on post were like putting Constantine around, wire around their parking lots. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's they Kentucky, like they, dude. They felt like, <laughs> like hey, yeah, so we're, take it easy. Yeah. Take it easy, so, fellas. So, we're, we're, at, we actually, um, uh, we're, we're, we're running PT that morning and we're like, you know, every unit at Fort Campbell has, um, uh, pull up bars and, and, and ropes you know, all the way down. So mm-hmm. this, it happened September 11th was a Tuesday. So Wednesday morning was our gauntlet day and PT and the gauntlet day is we're just going to run down because Fort Campbell was like long and skinny. So they had like main roads with the units all the way down on both sides. So we're like our, our gauntlet day is we would just run up this side of the road, hit every rope and pull up bar, turn around and come back down this side yep. of the road and hit. Makes there. sense. So yeah. you're doing, you know, 25 sets of rope climbs. And now yep. when I say rope climb, I mean, go up one rope, come down, go up second rope, come down, go up the third rope, come down. Yep. So one dude would do all three ropes. And of course, you know, sooner by the time you get to the 10th set, you've done 30 rope climbs. Right. You're just you're smoked, looking, right? You're waiting for the, you're waiting for the dude to bounce. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. do the, the 20 foot fall. Yep. So that was, it's a no bullshit PT day. But now you got a dickhead E3 standing there with an, you know, an M4 with no magazine in it, you know, halt, you know, 
let me see your ID card. And you're like, bitch, first of all, this is a close post. We wouldn't even be in here if we didn't have a fucking ID yeah. card. Second of all, who the fuck is carrying an ID card in yep. fucking, you know, you have- Ranger panties yeah. doing PT? And you got 25 guys running pre-scuba. And they're like, bro, if you don't get away from us, these dudes are going to wear you out. We're going to we're gonna beat you to death. Gun from you. Yeah. And we're going to drag you through your own Constantino wires. You're, you're, wearing, you're wearing a 1970s so flak jacket. Yeah. Like, you're out here yelling at yeah, people. Absolutely. Come on. Yeah, yeah. And, and the full kit, dude. Like, so, the yeah, exactly. The and the weapon. Like, who goes there? And we're like, dude, like, it was so absurd. Because we're like, look, you know you feel like you have to do something. But stopping us from doing PT is not it, right? Because we right. all knew, like, hey, you know, like, if anybody gets a call, again, Proved it in Desert Storm, proved it in Somalia. It's going to be, this is Middle East. It's going to be fifth group. So we know. And at the time we were scheduled to go back to Iris Golden and in, in, in Kuwait in January. So we're like, at the time we we're like, we're running pre scuba. We're going to spend the next 90 days prepping for this trip. And we're like, Hey, don't you think we should start thinking about? And they're like, Nope, you guys are still going to Iris Gold. So just focus on that. And we're like, we're kind of looking at each other, you know, me and Steve, the other medic, we're like, look, man. How about we start getting our shit together under the guise that we're going to, you know, Kuwait. And if something goes down, we'll be at least be ready. Sure. So let's start, you know, going through our gear. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're getting ready for the JSEP, so, but really what you're doing is you're starting to do a map study and you're like, where's Afghanistan? Yeah. And, and it was, and, and then one day we, you know, in the middle of pre-scuba, they were like, you guys are, we walked into the team room in the morning and there was a, we didn't have a team leader at the time. We had a warrant. And the team leader from five. Bless your heart. How, how great was that? No shade on officers, but you had a I'm warrant gonna, and had no lie. team leader. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It was pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> and you know, yeah, he, and he was a great dude, you know, yeah. super fit. He, and he, he was just, I mean, it was, it was, we, we only had eight guys, nine guys on the team at the time. So mm-hmm. we, we, we augmented with a team leader from five, one, a Bravo, a, a weapons guy from five, one. And then we had a weapons dude that was, um, that was not a diver. He was trained enough to be a diver at the time. So we had one combo guy. We had two medics. We had a, a fox and a team sergeant, which is an intel guy and mm-hmm. a team sergeant. So that's so we walked in one day. They, they were sitting in the team room. They're like, "Hey, you know, this is this is Captain So and So and Sergeant Speakman from Five One. Um, this they're augmenting our team. We're getting a call. So go home, kiss your wives, grab your shit, and be in here Monday morning with and ready to never." ready to, and tell your wives they're not coming back yeah. because you're going into isolation, right? So we had in, in SF, we had these things called isolation facilities. It's the ISOFAC. Mm-hmm. And now with the, with the new, with the new buildings or whatever, they're kind of synonymous. They have, they, they have an upstairs and a downstairs where the, the upstairs is the team room and the downstairs is the, the cage where you have your own weapons room. But back then in fifth group, the old fifth group, um, before they tore it down and built the new facilities is, is we had the barracks and the team rooms over here, but then across the street by the scuba locker and the, and the halo building was the, was the ISO facts. And it was just this huge building with, you know, bunks and, and showers upstairs and a planning conference bay downstairs with your own weapons lockers. And it was just, what they do is they isolate your team. You get issued you, your mission that way, you know, you're, you're synonymous, you're autonomous, you're not, you don't know, and nobody else knows what your mission is. You don't know what anybody else's mission is. And you're just, they, they gave us our mission packet. We stayed there and planned for 10 days and got on a plane and left. 
That's just the, the absolute most wild thing um, for, for people today that, that don't understand that is, and you'd have other teams planning in parallel on their other thing as well. So you'd literally Absolutely. be in, in deliberate planning. You'd be next door to a team. You had no idea what they were doing. They could be planning for your mission. You could have to like go up and you, you could bre- be briefing the same mission and they might pick the better team yeah. or they might be doing yeah. something completely different. Um, and and I can tell thing. you that the, there was, um, it was weird, man. Like it was, it was weird. There was this air of, cause you know, on, on the teams and, you know, in this business, the only people that it goes back to what I said before about the, you know, having weak self-esteem and, you know, you gotta be in the know, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not cool unless you're in the know, right? Like yep. the first guy to know is the guy in the know. And that's, you know, that's how you think you're cool. And, and that thing, you know, obviously, you know, as you mature, you kind of lose that a little bit. Right. And you realize that everyone is full of shit, right? Like everybody's <laughs> right. It at the, you know, yeah. and it's just, and, and we'll talk about that when we get into the medicine thing later. Um, but it was, nobody knew what the fuck was going on. Like right. absolutely nobody. All you knew is that a bunch of dudes flew a plane into a fucking thing. Right. Like the, it, we knew that obviously the discovery channel at the time was, was showing a bunch of shit on Afghanistan, right? Like, that's the only reason, you know, like every night on the Discovery Channel, they showed like the dudes from the 80s. Remember, you know, the oh, yeah. were there in the 80s and the agency was there in the 80s. So there was a lot of documentaries about that time. So we just started watching documentaries on the Discovery Channel about Afghanistan, right? So I started learning about the culture, learning about things, you start getting, you know, you could, you could get call for Bragg to the, to the, you know, to SWIC or to the to SOCOM, the med planning conferences, and they would just give you like a country packet. So we asked for a country mm-hmm. packet in Afghanistan. You know, and they're just, you know, we just started, you know, let you have the special forces machine planning guide. Like you can Google that and get like Mm -hmm. the old school planning guide. Like this is how you set, this is the med section for it. Like, you know, what's the indigenous plants? What's the fucking disease processes? Right. You know, so we just started going through that stuff and like, what are we, what would we face when we went there? Are we worried about zoonotic diseases? You know, they bring in this fucking wackadoodle dude from 10th group who taught at the mountain (laughs) school and this dude shows up with like fucking like snow shoes like the tennis racket fucking snowshoes yes. and all the camping gear and we're like what, the what fuck was the dude's name from dude? rudolph uh yeah yukon jack or whatever the guy's cornelius. Name was. cornelius cornelius yeah. <laughs> yeah he showed up from that dude and 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 because the mountain team was next door and they were sure and like these guys like oh we got all this rock climbing gear and we're gonna take and i'm like um i just got done watching a special about afghanistan and these dudes are wearing pajamas and flip-flops like i don't think we're gonna need any of this shit right is it gonna be if anything get me a north face jacket but other than that (laughs) these motherfuckers out climbing mountains right it with all these snowshoes they're wearing flip-flops man right what man jamie's with flip-flops right right so it was just uh, the whole thing was absurd nobody knew what the fuck was going on nobody knew what they were doing everybody was faking it everybody was trying to sound like they knew what was going on and then one day we walk in there and there's a fucking spook in there and he's like he came in with the mission this is where you're going this is what you're gonna do this is who you're hooking up with this is the area you're going into and this is what we need from you finally somebody knew what the and you, you knew where he's from. He came out from Langley. So you knew that he, he was in contact with the dudes that were on the ground already. So they, the, it was, it was okay. Now we can stop faking it and we can right. actually start putting our efforts into doing what we're doing. So then we, then now, okay, now we have a focus. Now we have a direction. Now we can tighten up from, you know, one over the world, 50,000, one to 50,000 map to a freaking to a, from a jog map to a freaking you know, whatever. 
to an actual green square. Right. One of the funniest things I'll remember from that time is uh, it, you go through, you go through isolation for, you know, a week or 10 days or whatever they do. And then you have to give a brief back to the commander because mm-hmm. you're still vying for a job, right? Oh, like they, oh yeah. You don't know it, but they might have five teams for the same mission. And yep. whoever gives the best brief back on what you're doing is going to win the, t- the mission, right? You're, yep. you're all competing for a mission, right? So, you know, it was funny because I'll never forget the, the Bravo stands up to get, cause each dude, it goes into like a sequential order. The team leader gets up and gives the mission statement and then the team sergeant says, this is what we're going to do. Then the Bravo gives the weapon ship, the echo yep. gives the combo plan, the medic gives the medic plan. And then they kind of team leader comes back on and comes it all together. The Bravo's mm-hmm. given his mission statement and he's standing over like a jog map of all of Afghanistan. And he's like, sir, we're going to infiltrate this general area here. And that's like 80 square miles. <laughs> when you do this it's all of map. the helmet. It's like, it's all of Bagram. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it was it was so funny because for the rest of the trip, anytime somebody asked us, "Hey man, where are you guys going to there?" We just look at the map and be like, "We're going to this general area here, like the entire fucking city of Kabul. Like we're going to this general area." Right. So you it's see, just, Kabul the whole thing was absurd. All of the surrounding area. There's this bowl, yeah. right? We're gonna go essentially into this bowl in the center of the area. Yeah. So, man, g- getting into country and, and putting boots on the ground for the first time, like what was your initial when you when you opened, um, you know, your your tent for that first time where you stepped off the plane for the first time? Man, the reality so we, of that moment had to be wacky. We flew. We took a we took a C-17. Um, uh, so three teams jumped on a C-17 with all their gear. So we palletized, put all the mm-hmm. pallets in the back and then everybody was just on the, 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 C- the C-17 or um is this, I think it might have been a 41. I don't know. I think it was a 41. I don't know if they they used it in that much back then. It was probably a 141. Because um, I remember we sat on the sides. We didn't sit in the seats. Like a yeah, I, I was probably along the side. Probably a 17. Yeah, the 141s are getting pretty old at that point. So yeah, so we we get on the plane and we we you know obviously we refuel probably in you know Italy or something and then fly over there. Um, and it actually there's there's a the talk about in the book, but it was the first time I had ever experienced what they refer to as a combat descent. And oh, good I was for you. absolutely, I was absolutely unprepared. Do we need that, to right? do this? I'm wearing right, my earphones. Yeah. No, I was wearing <laughs> yeah. my earphones and all of a sudden I, they, I, they come over and they tell us, and I had no idea. And all of a sudden, you know, obviously you get that little drop in your belly, like yeah. you're on a roller coaster. You're like, wait a second. Stop. Right. It didn't you're like, stop, wait a second. Right? Yeah. Like the, and, and I'm like, and nobody, nobody's freaking out and i'm just like what what the fuck is no, going on here everybody's then, you freaking know, the dude out they're, not, like they're not doing up. it yeah, yeah they're not doing it externally like the it's so dramatic right. too the first time like the pilots was, they'll shut the lights out like people are putting body yeah, armor complete on blacked out the dude next to me is like because i was up on the i was sleeping on top of one of the pallets right yeah, like i was standard. up there yeah, yeah. Like laid out Right, and, and then the dude comes and touches me on the leg and was like, "Come down, you know." I'm like, "Okay, I guess we're going." So I come down, I put my seatbelt on, and you know they they start to spiral down, and you know you're losing gravity at that point. Oh yeah. So the dude next to me is like throwing his water bottle up in the air, floating. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, the, "You think this is the time to be goofing off? Like we're all going to die, here, bro." And it, yeah, it's pretty. Oh. So we flew into K2, which is 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 right. Uzbekistan. Yeah. That's where we stayed, out of. And when we got there. It was literally like just this compound on the middle of nowhere with, you know, 10 tents in it surrounded by, you know, dudes from the 10th mount were prior security. And they were just, we, you know, Sergeant Major, you know, Battalion Sergeant Major meets us when we come off the plane. And he's like, hey, you know, 9-5, come here. Triple Nickel, come here. You know, 2-3, or you know, come here. You're going, follow this guy to this tent, follow this guy to this tent, church your mouse, let's go. 
And we're like, Roger that. And we just go to a tent and we're like still in the planning stages, right? Like we're just doing it, you know, the next in, waiting for, for the, the, the shit to go down, waiting for the stuff. And again, at that point, completely absurd, completely freaking, you know, nobody still knows anything about anything. And they're all trying to act like they're in the know. Yep. Um, you, you know, the dudes in the other teams, you know, the guys in the command suite at this point, cause I had been there for six, seven years now. And, you know, obviously willing that well, know, um, my, one of my first trips in, in group, when I got there in 95, we went on a combat up to Bosnia, mm-hmm. Bosnia, Herzegovina. And that's where I first met uh, a CCT guy, a guy named, uh, um, Alex Smith. Mm-hmm. And a really cool dude. In fact, Cal knew him really well. Um, young guy. And first time I saw somebody called Cass, first time it was a real combat op. So it was there, there just happened to, it was a 10th group mission, but they had a couple, you know, UN had a couple of Pakistani battalions mm-hmm. in it. So they brought two teams in from fifth group and we were actually lucky enough to be one of those teams. So I got, I was one of the few guys in that time that had already been on a combat op. So I, I, I was, I, I had some experience. So guys looked at me a little bit differently, you know what I mean? It gave me mm-hmm. a little more credit. Sure. If that makes sense. Yep. Um, so when, when we were planning, I was like, well, you know, the only thing I had to experience was from was, this is what I took with me to Bosnia. And this is what we did in Bosnia. And this is kind of how it went in the brief back. And this is kind of what we did. And this is kind of what, you know, there was a lot of, you know, it was, it was all fit. Right. It was all, which is foreign internal defense, which is, which is all, you know, partnered forces, train them up, you know, go do tasks, A, B, and C. These are the small tasks and those tasks to get them to. Let's try to get them all in the same shade of music and and go in that way. So I knew it would kind of that we were partnering with people and we were going to do it on a combat op and try and go up against the enemy. So it wasn't really rocket surgery, right? It was like, take this group of fucking dickheads and put guns in their hands and face them that way and do a movie and, to contact and kill and that group of try dickheads. not to die. Right. Yeah, yeah. And try not sure. to die. Right. Pretty like cut that and was dry. pretty much what we were doing. Right. So we kind of had like a game plan drawn in the dirt, kind of what we were doing. We still didn't know where we were going and we still didn't know, you know, what was going to happen when we get there. But we did know that there was agency guys on the ground, that they were going to do the introduction that they and and we knew that we were working with the Northern Alliance and they had about you know fifteen hundred dudes. We're going to be on the outside of Kabul and you know our our regardless of what your mission statement is, regardless of what you're doing at the time, we all know the unwritten rule in our line of business in this thing is to provide ground truth, right? Like th- there's yep. really nothing you're going to do at, at with 10 guys, right? Like no. 10 dudes is not a superior force by any means. We had, fi- they had 1500, the Taliban had 15,000, you know what I mean? It's a great story. You know what I mean? We get there, we hook up with our dudes. They take us to the front the first day we meet this general dude and he's like, sir, the Americans are here. And he looked at us and he's just like, oh, so, <laughs> like, I got fifteen hundred dudes, right? Like, right. Now I have fifteen hundred and ten. Whoop de doo! Like we're really gonna put a right. fucking dent in them guys now. Right, boy, it's so, over for you, assholes. It, <laughs> we they they were like, look, you, you know, the unwritten rule was, look, man, the command and the commander at the time was was pretty well a guy named you know Mulholland, who ended up being you know making four star. He's a fucking super cool dude. Um, but he was very, he looked like he, everybody called him Herman Munster. He was like six, five fucking monster of a dude, huge jawline, like a scary individual. Right. But he was, he was very calm. His demeanor the whole time was very calm and very cool. And he was like, look, man, I need you to get a good lay of the land. Like we expect that we don't expect shit from you. 
right? Like we, the, the end state of here is to take the capital city of Kabul, right? Mm-hmm. We don't expect you to do that. You're 10 right. fucking dudes. Right. We expect you to give us, provide ground truth and give us a lay of the land. And, you know, so, you know, hopefully secure Bagram airfield so we can use it as a staging area to bring in planes of equipment supplies and dudes from the 101st and the 82nd. So we can move on the city and take it. Right. So we can actually have, so we expect, we expect you to be there for a year and, and provide ground truth. Like just give us good maps. Right. Like that's what we want. Give it. So, I mean, think about it from their perspective, looking down over 50 teams, right? What do they want? They want to have the guy at the big sand table with a little Napoleon piece yep. where they can, you know, have their maneuver forces and say, okay, I got this square here moving this way and this triangle here moving this way. And this is the, you know, remember, remember the, the old desert storm jog map with the oh, yeah. 82nd and the and Norman Schwarzkopf That's is moving they, around tanks yeah. and shit. Yeah. 100%. That's what they wanted to build, right? Like yep. they wanted that to be able to, but you can't make that job bag unless you know what's going on on the ground. Right. So that's what we really thought we were going to do is let's just use these guys, poke and prod and create maps for people. That's right. what, that's what we assumed our mission was going to be. And how so, did that play out for you? <laughs> um, it, it, that's not what happened. It, was, it, it started out, it started out pretty, pretty, pretty cool. What happened? So we, we, we infiltrate at night. It was, um, the infill was, was pretty cool. That was out of that entire mission. I remember very vividly the, the infill platforms and in, in the day of infill. Um, we got kanked the first night because of weather. Um, so we had, we got in the, we got in the, 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 you know, 47s and, and took off and then had to come back. Um, so we got, had to do it, do another ground trip. They, we kept getting calls from, um, the guys on the ground of what they wanted from us, you know, are we coming in and full battle rattle or what, what are we doing? What are we bringing? How much room do we have? You know, what do we do? Um, and then at the last minute they were like, look, they don't want anybody to be recognized as an American. Right. So at that, we had already been on a relaxed grooming standard. So guys are growing their hair out, guys are growing beards. Um, so they send the S4 downtown Uzbekistan with our size sheet. To buy civilian clothes, yeah, and so bring us back, the, and I'll, I'll send you a picture the S, of the, the S four is, is logistics. So S four is your we, logistics shop, right? Right, our supply guy, just supply. You know, your standard freaking young E four supply dude to do with, with credit card. He goes downtown, full, yeah, backpack full of cash. <laughs> yeah, he goes downtown to the bazaar, and not like his, he didn't have Hilarious. balls. So yeah. he goes downtown to the bazaar and comes back. And I swear to God, in fact, in, in the book, I, I talk about the, the, I just made a, a ridiculous reference to remember the, remember the Saturday night live from the seventies, two wild and crazy guys, like African, the way yeah. they dressed, that's what they brought. <laughs> no well, bullshit. We had know you're American looking now. like we were going, we were looking like we were going out to the club with Perfect. dress button up shirts with these huge collars and forget. Luckily I Perfect. had jeans with me because I was like, oh, I good. Was, I, I, because I, I mean, in the back of my head, I'm like, well, if we stop in Italy on the way there and on the way back, I can go out drinking if I bring some, some civilian clothes with me. So at least I had Smart. two pairs of jeans. Smart. So I brought jeans. I, I literally wore jeans and tennis shoes and, you know, or jeans and boots. And I just put on their stupid shirt. And, but I, it, back then we had, remember the seven layer suit with the oh, big yeah. puff or the, oh, the yeah. fuzzy jacket. And the the seven layer system. I, it was gray too, for whatever reason. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Like, why I, go well, we have black ones. In, in, oh, not black very, ones. Uh, so, yes, I, yeah. of course. So I have black silkies. I wear my black silkies the pu- and the pullover and a beanie cap. But if you look at that, if you look at our initial photo, which right before we got on the bird, it was like dudes and like, you know, one guy, you know, the, the country dude on the team had his flannel. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> everybody was wearing, it was, it was very, man, you but guys- of course, still, Still wearing kit. It looked like of a course. no bullshit French Foreign Legion infill picture. You guys were going to die. You know what I mean? Like you guys were like, listen, yeah. we're not coming back from this. I'm not. I'm not worried about uniform oh, yeah. standards on the way out. Fuck you. Right. I'm wearing my flannel. Right. <laughs> right. So, so it, and it's actually you say that it's actually pretty funny because you know it's cool is and is is as much as I looked up to General Mulholland at the time, his his go get him speech wasn't even remotely freaking in fact i mentioned in in, in the book about freaking man that wasn't even remotely you know influential like i'm not even motivated at all he was like look you know 50 percent of me thinks you guys are the luckiest guys on the planet because you're going in first and 50 percent of me doesn't want to send you because i know you're probably not coming back and we were like, jesus christ guy <laughs> man that's not a pump-up speech general hey sir no, we gotta work we, we gotta like, work on your pump-up speech not bro. to have this dude speak to my kids football team at halftime man that's terrible <laughs> A bunch of kids quit. A bunch yeah. of kids just quit the football team. Like I'm out. I'm not. I don't want to go. And I mean, even and it was like you know, it, there's a, a, a um. It was funny because my old team sergeant was uh, who was a, a my senior medic when I was on five one before I went to the nickel. He was my senior my senior medic, and he ended up making team sergeant. And he was so he had he was a senior EA group at the time. He was in the planning cell. They're like they're like this dude's super experienced. Came from Ranger Battalion. Like we want him, you know, to help run the isofact or whatever down. Mm-hmm. So he was in charge of like the tents and everything and getting people stuff. Um, he got in a lot of trouble because he brought us a bunch of freaking you know undershirt bulletproof vests that this they had ordered for like all the command. And he was like, "Fuck that! I'm dropping it off at the nickel." Nice, <laughs> thanks, it, bro. Yeah, That's a big cool. win. But. Yeah, he pulled me outside one day, and there's uh, I talked about him, and he was just like, he's like, look, man, are, are you ready for this shit? And I'm like, dude, I don't even know what this is. Like, I, yeah, you know, no I'm clue. Going. You know what I mean? I'm absolutely going. Like, I don't, you know, it's fucking like, who? Why would I? Who, who would not want to take this trip? Right? Like, right. I, I tell people all the time, like that. That was our Super Bowl, man. Like, it's no different than the NFL. There's 31 other teams wishing they were in your spot. Right. And right. You figure there's, you know, there's 40 teams in each group, you know what I mean? So there's right. 200 teams out there wishing that they were us chomping at the bit first. So, right. yeah. 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 And, and it so absolutely, dude, I don't care what we got to do. In fact, our team started was, was very clear. Like, look, anybody who fucks this up, your career is over. If you screw this up for us, we're going in first. Like if you screw it, anybody here screws this up, I'm going to make sure you're not an SF guy anymore. I will revoke your tabs. You will not fuck this up. You will fucking put everything you got into doing a good brief back, prepping your shit correctly, and doing everything by the book, 100%, everything you got to get us on this fucking trip. And, and so, so we got lucky. So yeah. we infill in 47s, uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, right? It's about a three-and-a-half-hour flight. And uh, we're supposed to we're supposed to do a link up. There's supposed to be an agency dude on the ground who's already embedded with the with the Northern Alliance to, to receive us, right? Um Infill night was something that just, I mean, first time in, I, I can't even tell you that that happened, right? Like the mm-hmm. SF mission, right? Dio Presso Libera to liberate the oppressed, right? Like this is, this is Q course type shit. 
right? Like yeah. We're going to infill, link up with with forces. And this is absolutely everything that you were LARPing in in the Q course to prepare for to go to SF, we are actually doing for real. And it hadn't been done in ever, right? Like saying, when's the last ever. time a team went and infilled someplace, yep. linked up with a, a, with a gorilla conventional force, force right. and, and did this, like, this is, this is historic, man. Well, the funny and, thing is if, if they gave you this mission in the Q course, you'd be like, this isn't going to happen. You're telling me we're going to go ride horses with a gorilla force and take right. on the talent. This isn't even true. What Afghanistan, that's not even believable. Right. The Russians couldn't get through Afghanistan. Right. Neither could well, Alexander in the, the Q great. course. They never talk about, they never talk about OGA being involved right. and right. helping you link up. Right. All like, they the, never yeah, talk about, all these hey, other, we yeah. have an, Eng we have an English speaker on the ground now. They never even talk about that in the, Q right. course. you know why? Because nobody ever done it yet. Right. Right. Like it's, it's not in the, it's not in any of the TTPs because nobody knows that they even existed. I never even heard the word agency when I was in the fucking Q course. Right. We hadn't even written. Them so, yet. right. So, and, and these are the guys, these guys have been operating in Afghanistan since the eighties. Right. Like when the Russians were, that was when, that was where they made their bread and butter. And half of these dudes were there during that time. So they all right. went back. Right. They already had connections. They already knew where they were going. They already knew the landscape. So we get there and there was a couple dudes, right? And it, it's pretty funny because you know how 47, you know, 160th operates, right? Like we're supposed to land in a big open flat area with two 47s, right? Mm -hmm. And then get out, they leave, we link up. First one goes down, creates such a huge, we did it in this little riverbed, such a huge rotor wash. The second one couldn't see anything, got blacked out. Okay. So he's like, I'm going to go over there and land. So he goes on the other side of this little mountain and lands on the other side, right? So we get down, we get off. Bird lands, right? Total washout, right? Now, you know, and you know, with no wind, the haze just kind of stays It just sits there. there, yeah. It just sits, right? So we're, like, you couldn't see five feet in front of you because of all this dust, right? Like, you couldn't see five feet in front of you. And we're just like, it takes off, and we're all like, okay, I guess we're here. Like, hey, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And we, we did a split team, right? So we, we, you know, when you're on SF sure. team, you have, you know, you know, we have two of everybody, two Bravos, right? So we're like, okay, we're in, you know, team alpha, team Bravo. One of everybody goes over here. One of everybody goes over here. One of everybody goes over here with a team leader. The other half goes over here with the, with the warrant. So you have two completely exact operates. You could do split team concepts or whatever. Mm -hmm. So one team was on one bird. One team was on the other bird. So we get down and they were like, we're like, okay, where's, you know, you got contact with the other team that get that get the other team on the radio. So, you know, Hey, combo guy, get that other team on the radio. Um, so we're like, we're, we can't get them on the radio. Of course not. Because line of, of sight, course, right? like, Yeah, of course not, right? Because they're on the other side of a fucking hill. If you can't get calm, sight, gotta, get calm. We're like, we're like, we have no idea. Did they go down? Did they turn back? Like, we're, we're, we, fuck, man. Now we're doing this alone. You right. know what I mean? Now we got six guys here. You know what I mean? What do we do? And of course, during this time, you start seeing the headlights in the distance of like a bunch yep. of vehicles. And we're like, okay, you know, what are we doing? Because in the brief back, the other team was doing the link up. Sure, right. <laughs> Well, and I'll, I'll tell you, there, we there never is... went over this contingency <laughs> of what do we do if the other dudes disappear? And, like, I love even talked about. It. I love that it's your play. Like you get on the ground, you're like, oh man, we should, probably should have planned for this because, oh man, there, I, I will say too, there is nobody nothing. Even, nobody <laughs> even expected what that you know. It sure. never even came across as a thought process right. of what happens if there's only six dudes when we start this mission. Yeah. And there is nothing louder yeah. than the silence of when a helicopter takes off and you look around and you're like, you know, okay, for what, for what now? Right. For, for 
almost 20 years after that, you know, and all the trips I went on both to Iraq and Afghanistan multiple times, every time that particular instance happens, you know what I mean? It's the same, but it's, uh, yep. it's absolutely, you can't explain it to anybody that, that small window of right after you get dropped off and right before you get picked up. Yep. Right. Like that, just that you, you are absolutely at your most vulnerable, right? Like everybody's in a circle together waiting for something to happen. And it's obviously, you know, the biggest signature of the enemy, right? Like you have a huge target to shoot at now, right? You have the 47. It's not a small bird, right? right. Like you, you know what I mean? So you, you, it's, it's, it, you want to talk about a pucker factor, man, like you are. And now you're doing something that's never been done before, right? Like you're, you're, you're infiltrating another country in a wartime scenario, right? Like there's no, there's no, you know, it's, you know, as everybody likes to say in the news right now, it's unprecedented, right? Like we got no experience to draw from in this particular time, right? Except for, sure. you know, the one time you did it in the Q course to pretend, you know what I mean? So it was, it was, it was, it was absolutely unreal, man. It was, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty, it's something that you will never forget. The, every time and, and it doesn't even have to be the first time right like that the first time for you right whether or not it was the first time that sf did it or at this war or whatever because we were the first team or whatever the first time you experienced something like that it, it's something you will never forget right it's one of those life experiences in your mind in, in your little you know photo book of all your memories where you take snapshots throughout your life that's absolutely a, an eight by ten in that book right like that's something that's going to stick with you forever what we yeah. didn't talk about was cal and how we hooked up with Cal. And, and exactly. Right. And I wanted to get into that too. I want people to go that read is, the book, pick up the Degayo. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about Scott's book. Degayo. Degayo. I'm going to get this right. Degayo. No matter how many times I say it, I have a long history of saying <laughs> things wrong. Um, we'll go we'll pick talk up, about that in a minute too. Yeah. Go pick up Scott's <laughs> book, but I, I really want to, you know, talk about how it is that you linked up with Cal. So obviously, you know, we're a bunch of Air Force dudes and, you know, you, you we're lucky enough to link up. We had Cal on the podcast before talking about Povat and some of that other stuff that you guys are, you guys are doing there. But how did you, uh, how did you link up with Cal, your controller? So we're in K2, right. In, 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 in Uzbekistan at the staging area. And, um, on the way over in, in the, in the C-17 on the way over, they literally, JT's our combo guy, right? So we only had one combo guy. We had two Bravos, one Charlie, two Deltas, one echo, a fox, and a warrant, and a team star. Um, so we only had one combo guy, and we're like, "Look, man, we freaking literally in isolation." They came and brought him the embitter. Embitter had just come out, right? Okay. Before that, it was the one thirteen and the freaking oh, yeah. these big bulky freaking whatever, yeah. you know. And everybody's like, "Fuck, we got to carry shit." Every, of, everybody had, know, yeah, exactly. Seven batteries per dude. Batteries, right. freaking yeah, and all like it was just like it, it, you, you, you dreaded the combo portion, right? Like the heaviest box on every pallet is the combo box, right? Like yep. it was, and all of a sudden they give them a bunch of fucking walkie talkies and sure. they're like, this can do it all. It can do, it can do sack on it. It can do HF. It can right. do HF. And you're like, I'm not buying it. <laughs> JT being the fucking nerd that he was, right? Like combo guys are, are fucking nerds, right? Like yeah, they're they the guys that like to take, they like every, every combo area of a fucking team room is a bunch of computers taking apart to this motherfucker's promises that he could fix. Exactly. Right? Like yep. putting together. Like, so he was, he's literally, so he read the entire manual on the helicopter, on the, on the, on the bird, on the 117 over with his headlamp, read the entire book of, of the embitter. And he was like, these things are fucking baller. Like, I'm going to have to teach you guys how to use these, but I, I, I will absolutely love these. So to get, 
the fills, he had to go to the Air Force dudes that were doing, because Cal was at the, at the time in, in K2 doing, he was in charge of CSAR, right? So he was running the CSAR mission over there. So he's like, hey, how do I get a fill for this shit? And they're like, you got to go over to the, to the Air Force guys, you know, the CCTs over there that run CSAR. They have all the fills for country. So you got to go over there and get a fill. So they put in, we couldn't leave our tents. So they put in a request to get them to come do it for us. Um, so he comes over and he's like, Hey, he comes in the tent. He's like, Hey, I'm freaking, you know, Charlie Mike, I'm from, I'm, I'm, I'm here to give you a tip, fill all your inbitters. So where's your combo guy? So like JT, hook up with this dude, go in the back, sit down in your little huddle, go over the radio. You know, he's like, Hey, this is what I was reading in the book. Am I right on this? Am I right on it? So Cal gave him kind of a one over class that he could then teach all of us. Um, turns out that Cal went to CDQC with our team started. So he walks in the tent. It's like, hey, bro, what's up, man? Blah, 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 blah. You know, small community. We're always running into each other, um, you know, different schools or whatever, whether it's Halo School or Scooby School or freaking, you know, NCO Academy or Ranger School or whatever. You're always bumping into a dude that you that you met somewhere. So they had a little numb. He goes back and him and JT start talking. And I guess the just they're bullshitting back and forth like, God, man, like you don't understand, bro. Everybody in this compound is envious of you motherfuckers right now. Like you're going to do the deed, man. Yeah. And yep. he was like, and he was like, he was like, he's like, you know, are, are, you know, is there, if there's anything we can do, let me know. And he would be like, I, I, I would really use another combo guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> because if we do split team, we're kind of fucked, right? Like we, right. who's going to, who's, who's going to, none right. of these other idiots are going to, no matter what I tell them about these radios, they're not going to know what the fuck they're doing. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like combo is one thing you need. So it would be really nice if we had another combo guy. And he's like, fuck, I'd love to go with you. And, and both of them, he like, couldn't leave that CSAR team Ding. fast enough. He Fucking, couldn't leave that yeah, CSAR. Little, he, little he went back and he was went on over there. Later nerds. Yeah. So they literally walk up to the team sergeant and they were like, Hey man, do you think it would be cool if we got him to come with, who do we talk to, to get this guy to come with us? And they're like, yeah. can we do that? And, you know, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, you're in a tent. So there is no conversation. There's no that's privacy, not being right? By everybody. It's right, right there. So right. he was like, can we do that? And I was like, um, I don't want to be a dick here, but we had Alex Hunter with us as a CTC guy. And when I was on five, one, we went to, went to Bosnia, Herzegovina, you know, in Sarajevo, we had a combo guy and I could tell you it was badass because this motherfucker <laughs> was calling cast every day. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And Cal was like, he was like, um, I'm, I'm the cast master, bro. You need cast. I'm your guy. And I'm like, it, they gave them to us. We didn't even ask for them. They gave them to us. Right. And they're like, let's put in a request form. So they sent out the fucking little, like, Hey, let's, we want to talk to our AST and AST is a, what they call them, the area support team. It's sure. your one guy link from your team to the command structure. Right. So it's like, Hey, go get Aaron, have him come here. We got him. We had a message. We want to take a CCT guy with us. And he was like, I'll ask. So he goes up there, comes back like 10 minutes later. Give me a standard name line. Give him a standard name line. They send it over to the airport and send it up to freaking to, you know, Mulholland. He goes over there. Hey, it wasn't like, Hey, can I take your guy? It's like, Hey, we're taking Charlie Mike with us on this trip. And they were like, they were like, that's up to Charlie Mike. You know what I mean? That was their answer. It wasn't like, Hey, you can't take our guy. They were like, well, let's see what he thinks about it. And Cal was like, they call him. And Later, like, nerds. Hey, um, I'm we going. Yeah. You know, this is completely up to you. You know, this is completely up to you. The, the army would like you to accompany them 
on right. this trip. And you don't, you just say the word. We'll tell them no if you don't want to do this. And he was like, well, fuck yeah. You know I'm going. I mean? so, right. Have fun, so K2 was, nerds. Was, I'm and out. I can tell you, I can tell you as much as I despise you and your brethren, there is no triple nickel without Charlie Mike. Like he was, he was absolutely instrumental in everything. And I mean, obviously, 20 years later, him and I are still great friends. It established a lifeline. I mean, we, we, the, that mission does not, it, I, I, I won't say that it couldn't have happened and it wouldn't have went, but it would not have went how it went without CCT involved. And to be honest with you, that established the norm going forward. Like mm-hmm. you never heard of SF dudes going forward without, without it, without TACP or CCT help after that, because it was like, this is, this is such a, a match, man. And I mean, to be honest with you, you know, now, now there's 20 years later, I'm out and I can't get in trouble for saying this. Like we did it to absolutely beat the system, right? Yeah. Like think about it. If, if an army team wants to call in cast, we have to fill out a nylon, send it up to the fucking Jesotif, send it from the Jesotif over to fucking Air Force, down the chain to the birds, up the chain over and back. And it was like a 24 hour process. Mm-hmm. Charlie Mike could call AB triple C and have fast moves here in 10 minutes. Yep. You tell me which you would want to go with. Do you want to play? Do you want to play regulation and freaking and FMs and standards, or do you just want to get shit done? You know what I mean? And the SF team of freaking, you know, we'll worry about the rules later. Let's fucking, you know, let's make mission. That was absolutely the right thing to do at the time. You know what I mean? And that was the reason why we wanted to do it. Like we, if we want, if we wanted fucking cast, like he could get it on board now. And I can tell you there's, I, I'm still, we all owe our lives to that dude. Cause there's been plenty of times and we'll go over this of what transpired after infill that, you know, we would not be alive if it wasn't for him calling in some, some, some e-cast to fucking so we can break contact. Like it was, it was absolutely instrumental in, in what we did and how we did it to have Air Force CCT attached to us. And anybody who says that we could do it ourselves without him, we absolutely could. And Jay, and we were calling cast as a split team without him several times, but we wouldn't know how to do it correctly had he not taught us the first dozen times and, you know, see one, do one, teach one, you know what I mean? Just out of the middle, uh, in the middle of nowhere in October, he just hands me the radio and he's like, you got this one, Scotty. Like he called it up and set it up and they're like, we're inbound. And he just handed me the embitter and was like, this one's on you, bro. And step back. And I was like, well, what, what? He's like, figure it out. You've seen me do it a dozen times now, figure it out. And, and that's how I learned how to call gas. And it was, and I, but I got taught by the fucking master. Like this dude, he, he, when he got on the radio with dudes, it was, it was a no brainer. Birds came in and the thing you pointed at wanted blown up, got blown up. It was that simple. He did it. So, he was so structured. He was so in command. He was so in charge and he was the absolute right. It was like learning how to throw a football from Brett Favre. I, I mean, it was, it was absolutely, it was like taking golf lessons from, you know, Tiger Woods, right. It was, it was, it was absolutely, he knew every, every little thing to do, how to, from setting up the soft lamp to calling the, to, to walking him on target from, from general to intermediate to pinpoint, to get it done correctly, to use the train around you, to orient in the map, to, to get your face out of the map and tell him what you see in front of you. Like everything, man, like absolute freaking scratch handicapper and calling cast. You know what I mean? It was awesome. It was awesome. So as those days and those weeks and those missions, you know, bled together and, you know, you kind of alluded to it to, to talk about kind of what happened, you know, after infill, 
you know, we talk about tactical momentum here on the podcast a lot. We talk about making sure that you're, you're always moving forward. What were, what were some of those, uh, you know, those impressions from the first days and weeks? Like, again, you go over it in the book and we've seen, obviously you were the Chris Hemsworth, uh, character in the movie 12 strong, just because of your ruggish, you know, rugged good looks and, uh, and handsomeness, I assume. Um, you know, and, and we've, we've seen the stories and we've heard it, but from you on the ground, like in those first days, those first weeks, those first missions of, you know, 24 hour operations with the Northern Alliance, like what was it, what was that like? Where was your headspace as these things were going on? Um, okay. So we infilled, right. We, we actually linked up with the other team, right? Like the, the agency dude that brought the dudes in, it was, you know, the infill was weird because we saw the headlights. I, I stopped where we saw the headlights, right? We're like, okay, what do we do now? Like we, we didn't rehearse the link up cause they did, but we all know how to do a link up cause we've all been through training and we all mm-hmm. know whatever. Let's do the baseball. It's a basic battle drill, That's baby. Just, Friendly force link. Right. Up. <laughs> like, Hey man, I'm going to go, I'm going to go in with my baseball cap. I'm me and him are going to do, you guys are going to pull security. I'm going to link up with Aaron. If, if I'm in trouble, I'm going to take my hat off. Sure. You know what I mean? And just kind of scratch my head. And if, and if things go down, I'm going to throw the hat on the ground and get to the ground. And if that happens, just kill everybody. Right. Like, so right. standard link up. Um, so, but this dude just comes walking up. Hey man, are you going to SF dude? <laughs> it was just how we like, okay, just get have, your shit. Yeah. He's in like, the middle hey, of I got the trucks, hey, up, get bro? your shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, Hey, get your shit, get in the trucks and your other teams over there. We got, we got dudes going to get them too. We're like, okay, cool. So they take us back to this mud hut dirt thing on top of this little cliff. Um, we, and it was just like, we're, Hey man, like our, our, our generals, our guys in charge are down at Bagram airfield. Right. And they're, they're operating out of the buildings right there on the airstrip by the, like the tower, right? Like that's the famous picture of, of the, the old tower at Bagram. Um, so we're going to take you there tomorrow and you're going to look up at the general and we're going to do the introductions and whatever. Right. And we're like, okay, cool. Right. So get a good night's sleep, get some food in your mouth tomorrow morning. We're going to go to war. So next day we get a little convoy. We go down to the, the, the tower of Bagram and it was just go up to the control tower, right? Like that's what they were working out of. That's where, except it was like a control tower with no windows, right? So yep. it was all blown up and beat up. So we just go up in the control tower and we were like looking out, looking over the thing. And we're like, okay, give us kind of lay of the land. They're like, Hey, General Baba John or whatever his name was like, Hey, these are SF dudes. And he just kind of gave us a, you know, drinking his tea, just kind of look at us like, so, all right, I'll be over there in a minute. And he's like telling his guys what to do. So we just kind of, you know, they bring us a bunch of tea or whatever. And we introduce him and he's like, Hey, you know, what, what are you here for? What do you want? What do we need you for? Like, we got it under control. We've been fighting for 30 fucking years. You, you know, what could you possibly bring to the fight with 10 guys? Like we, we got this right. And we're, you know, obviously the team leaders talking to him and he's like, Hey, we're here to augment you, help you out, provide assistance, advise the best we can. Like, you know what I mean? Like we, and he was, he was like, we have the ability with, you know, Text our marking him over here to call in airstrikes. Whenever he's like, "You guys have been bombing this place for a month now, and your bombs just hit dirt. You're just doing random carpet bombing out in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere. You don't, you're not hitting any targets. You're putting zero dent in the fucking enemy because you're not hitting anything. Like we can watch your bombs drop all day long. It's not doing anything to help us in this fight. So what? And he's like, "Oh, but we can do it pinpoint now. You know what I mean? Like, like show us on the map where the enemy is." And he's like, "Map, they're right there." And we're like, what do you mean right there? Like literally the airstrip, the, the actual air, the actual tarmac of the airstrip was the flop, was the delineation <laughs> between us Tight. and them. Yeah. So we're up in the towers looking over the airfield, looking over the, the, the runway to the buildings on the other side, to those people that you saw, little dots, little ants moving around. That was the Taliban. 
We're oh, like, perfect. Yeah, yeah. be fucking kidding me. We're literally a <laughs> right. hundred meters away yeah. from the bad guys. And we're like, well, why don't we shoot them? And he's like, what are you crazy? They have 15,000. We have 1500. The last thing we want is to start gunfights here at the airfield. We know this is our side. That's their side. And it was like very well known that we're not going to attack you. You don't attack us. This is where it stops. They, they have the city of Kabul. Bagram's about 50 miles north, right? Mm-hmm. And just north of that is all the mountains. So the Taliban could right. give a shit about what happens up in the mountains. They don't, it's strategically insignificant to them. Right. They have the, they had the, the capital city. They, they the don't bowl. need the yeah. outskirts. They don't need the suburbs. They don't need the mountains. Like you can have, like, this is as far as you're going to go. You're not coming any closer to the city than this airfield. But from here south, we own it. From there north, you guys do whatever the fuck you want and be nomads and live up the mountains. We don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. As far as we're concerned, we have the populace in the city. We, you guys can have all that. So we're like, okay, cool. Um, let me ask you this, though. If you wanted to blow up any one of those buildings, which one would you want to blow up? And he was like, obviously, that silo-looking one with all the antennas on top. That's their C2 nodes, right? Like, I would want to be that one. And so the team leader looks at Cal and is like, Cal, get us some birds. Cal gets over on the radio, starts talking. About 20 minutes later, he comes back and he's like, I got, I got two inbound right now. And they were like, let's set up. What do we do? And he was like, you know, JT, get the soft lamp out, set it up, point at that building. Everybody else, shut your mouth, right? Like he was, that first day, he was no bullshit. In fact, guys, you know, over there smoking and joking or whatever. And he's like, look, if you're not involved in this right now, get the fuck out of the tower. Stop talking or get out of the tower. I don't want to hear shit. And everybody was just like, <laughs> dad, dad, daddy, daddy's Ooh. mad, right? Ooh, like, dad's mad. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah. Dad's upset. We better, we better shut our mouths and just kind of watch what happens, right? So sure enough, he points the freaking, you know, we pick the target, birds come in, one's inbound, here's the direction, walk them into the, they're obviously easy as fuck, right? Like go north out of back until you see the fucking northwest. Look for the airfield, right? Yeah. Yeah. Look for the airfield using the airline, the, the, the runways, the unit of measure. We're literally at the, in the top, friendlies in the tower, bad guys up the other side of it. And they were right. like, they literally paused. Can, are you saying that you're in the tower? And they're in the buildings on the other side of the tower. We're like, mm-hmm. yeah. And they're like, yeah. Okay. Wait, one more time. You're <laughs> in the tower and they're okay. like, right. yeah. they're literally across the street, right? Like right. A, 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 literally a runways, you know, 60 meters wide. You know what I mean? Like right. you're, you guys are hundred meters away from each other and you want to drop bombs that close too. And we're like, yeah, so they literally yeah. have to fly right over our heads and for the soft lamb and hit something a hundred meters away from us without killing us right but perfect I mean, you know the deal this laser is so good you can yeah. not only pick the building you want to start you can pick which window you want the right jm to go through you know yep. you so you know 10 minutes later bombs blown up right so now generals my boys right my yeah, boys now, you're in town so now yeah. he's like oh, okay yeah, it's way different. So, you know, obviously we got a new place to stay that night. We got real food in our bellies. We got, sure. you know, we got ice, bottled water. It was, it changed everything. So that was the introduction of us to combat and Cal to war and whatever. It was a direct hit on a couple, you know, and then obviously call in, you know, number two from once hit. I want you to go 50 meters west. Just start going up that building row of buildings and let's just start taking things out. Right. And we, so freaking, you know, dealing death from day one, you know what I mean? Like it just watching dudes explode, killing, you know, dropping bodies, whatever, obviously the most lazy way to fight a war, sitting up in a tower, drinking chai, sure. right? Calling in cast <laughs> across the street. Well, you know, is that technically killing people? I don't know. They're, they're dead, but we didn't really do anything except calling radio. 
So we're like, okay, now we know what we're going to do. So we kind of laid out the structure of what we're going to do going forward, which is we're splitting into two teams, right? Alpha team, Bravo team. We're going to go out alternating days, 24 hours on, 24 hours off. Let's start getting a lay of the land, taking the, the, the team leaders and the commanders of the Taliban forces that we're working with. Let's go around to the north, right? Like we're think about, you know, looking at a map. Like here's Kabul, we're up here. So let's start poking and prodding these areas around here, around the city and see exactly, you know, draw a strategic line of where the battle lines are, where the pockets are and where, you know, to get a good view of, you know, when we get resistance, when we don't get resistance. So we pretty much did movement to contacts every day. We would get in our trucks and we just kind of drive that way until we get shot at and then stop, return fire, break contact. If we could call cast in, we'd call cast to help break contact. If we came in a, a, a big group of dudes, like with any kind of vehicular things like tanks or, or, or armored vehicles or whatever, we would try to call pass on them. And we just did that for, for months, man. It was, it was, it was, you know, the, the cartoon with the sheepdog and the wolf of clocking in in the morning, you yep. know, fighting each other all day, clocking out. And it was a completely absurd way to fight a war. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. For, you know, just it literally movement to contact, engage, break contact, mark it on the map, do it again tomorrow. You know what I mean? Hopefully, you know, break contact to the point where you don't get everybody dies. Right. Because, you know, that's your first introduction to, you know, going through a pomegranate field or a grape field and fighting in a, in a, in a, in a grape fields are very jungle like, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot of brush and a lot of where you've hopped grape walls and stuff like that in Afghanistan. So a lot of, you know, watching partner forces sticking guns over their heads and firing with their thumb on the wall behind them, you know, like, what are you doing? Like right. just completely absurd TTPs of your partner forces. And look, man, these aren't range battalion dudes. We're not going to do movement to contact, set up assault, set up ambushes and stuff like that. It's just not going to happen. They're not going to do it, right? Like you, you literally are going to get in trucks and drive because they were like, oh, no, no, we're not going to get. They, they were dreadful of us probing farther enough and getting in gunfights because they're obviously scared shitless. And Taliban's are no jokes because these are dudes that have been fighting for years. They're Pakistani, they're Uzbeki, they're, they're Iranian, they're freaking, they're, they're, they're a different look to them than what we had, right? Like you mm-hmm. can tell when you ran into, in fact, when we took the city and, and, and we started taking a bunch of prisoners, you could tell the difference between when you saw a Taliban dude versus, you know, one of our guys, right? Like our guys were a bunch of, you know, Scotty's asked for little stick man dudes with beards. <laughs> and these dudes were these big, bulky, freaking, you know, big, thick bearded Taliban dudes that looked a lot different than. Than, than most of the Afghan Taliban guys that we were looking at. These were original hardcore Taliban dudes. Right. So that's pretty much what we did. We just, we just did movement to contacts every day. And, you know, we had, we had different OPs established at that point. After a couple of weeks of doing this, you're like, okay, we have a, a really good place to call cast from and get a good, you know, elevated position looking over the area in the north and in the west and in the east. So we had three OPs, you know, operating out of Bagram over here, the OP west and OP east. And we would just kind of, you know, tighten it up a little bit and, and, and grow on in and, and move our guys out of the, the mountains north of Bagram to the areas around Bagram until we had a good, you know, like, okay, we, we have our area established now. So we spent about, you know, a good month and a half, you know, establishing home base out of the Bagram area. You know what I mean? So yeah, it pretty well. How long was that, was that entire deployment? So you talked about being there for months. Like how long were you guys in country it before was, they... Uh, we're, 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 we're out of there by one January. So now, oh, wow. so, yeah. So 
Yeah. So 90 days. Yeah. So um, this is something, this is something that again, the mission set was to be there for a year. And right. the, the, the whole goal of that year was to do what we did in the first 30 days, which was to get a lay of the land, right. Mm-hmm. Provide ground truth, right. Like that's what they wanted, right. Like your, your, your mission is to go do movement to contacts and, and break contacts and call cast and kill the enemy and deal as much death as you can to the guys that, you know, cause you gotta remember, man, back then it, is looking back on it, as we all know, did, did those little dudes in Afghanistan have any inkling of what happened on 9-11 or played any, or did some dude walking around in the fields between Bagram and, and Kabul have any, even know, I mean, obviously word spreads and they probably know that America was attacked by some of their brethren in the fight for Allah, but it was, it was absolutely, they had no part of doing that, but they're taking, like we were, you know, that's why the name of the book is a Duguelio, right? Like the Duguelio, the whole gist of that is, is a song. It's a, it's a song, it's a Mexican song, and it was played by Santa Ana, uh, Generalissimo de Santa Ana, um, to initiate the siege on the Alamo. And they played it 24 hours until it was all over, right? They played it, you know, continuous until the fight was over, right? It means no, mer- it means no quarter, no mercy for the loser, right? And that was kind of our, our mission set there. Like, we just got attacked, man. Like the country was pissed, right? The world was pissed. The country was pissed. The, the, the J, J, you know, the joint chiefs were pissed and they're like, I want mm-hmm. some of these fucking, ass. you know, Bush was like, I want some of these ass and I want it now. And they looked over at the JCF and I want some of these ass and I want it now. And he looked over at the army in there and was like, I want some of these ass and I want it out. And we just went out and have a bunch of fucking badass green grays that we can speak the language and send them in right now. And they can deal death tomorrow. Like the regular army is like, we'll take, you know, six months, but we'll get all these tanks and we'll get all these in the airborne dudes. And we'll, and then, and the, you know, of course, the SOCOM commander is like, I can be in tomorrow. Right. And he's like, let's do it. You know, and like, oh, <laughs> right. Boys in. These guys go in behind enemy lines, even though they haven't done that since fucking Vietnam. Right. Exactly. We guys go behind enemy lines and we're fucking. So that's, that's what we did. So we were, in fact, there was a couple times that Colin Cass were, you know, some dumbass on the radio that was doing it for that Cal was teaching was like, that was for Tower 7, motherfucker. And, you know, pilots coming back. Yeah, I'm wearing a fucking FDNY patch on my shirt right now. Like it was, there was just an air of vengeance. You know what I mean? Of, of why we're there. And, and, you know, we could talk about it now. Obviously, obviously the following trips and going back a couple, three times that kind of went away. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, you know, like the second and third, fourth trip to Afghanistan. I was like, okay, we're working with these guys. We're going to help secure this town or this village and protect them and, and that kind and do that kind of stuff. So there wasn't really like a vengeance only, but that first trip, man, like it was, you know, we, we want to seek out and destroy as much enemy forces as we can. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And, it, and I imagine it becomes more business-like after that. Like you get that first trip out of the way and then you're, you know, you're going back and working with the same folks or going back to the same areas and it, yeah. it becomes a little bit more muted, um, a, a little bit different. The it second was definitely trips, more, it was definitely more fit. Like, you know, what sure. I mean? when I say fit, it's foreign internal fence, definitely more just hook up with partner forces, you know, like let's, let's teach them, let's teach, let's run a sniper school. Let's teach them, you know, ambush and move into contact and break contact and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you know, obviously we don't do IEDs, but we can do, you know, explosives in with claymores and stuff like that, where, which is technically our IED. Um, so we, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, building up for, you know, building up areas and, you know, how to, how to, how to create different things in your terrain to, to, get the enemy to go where you want them to go with, you know, with obstacles and, 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 and explosives and, you know, 
making yourself seem bigger than you are with a force and that kind of thing. So, so that's what we did. The, the book does a pretty good job of kind of, you know, if you think about it more like a, like a, like a movie of, okay, these guys go in and then there's, you know, particular times in movies where, you know, think the A team, like after every, after every, when they're doing something, they all of a sudden music starts playing. And the montage. Like, you know, BA, yeah. BA building something and sure. putting together a thing. Like there's times in the book where I try to make that kind of happen. Like when we're in infill and we're, or when we're in isolation and we're training, like these are all the different things we do to train. And then when we're, when we're on a particular mission, we're going to do a particular thing. We're going to build something and to do it. So you just got to think in your head, like during this time, there should be like the 18 music going while, while, you know, the combo guys building this and the Charlie's building this because that you're teaching people how to put tourniquets on. Like you flash to the side. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that there's, there's a couple points in the book where I kind of do that. So, um, and we did that probably through, um, through mid November towards the end of November. I want to say it was right, right before Thanksgiving, um, we just woke up one morning and, you know, standard, get up in the morning, make your morning coffee, eat a little, you know, um, some of their crappy breakfast sausages or whatever mm-hmm. the hell they do. They had, you know, the footbread that they make. We had, luckily for me, you know, I went to, I went to Sam's club and brought one of those big five pound Jeff peanut butter things. So every day I would take one scoop of peanut butter per meal just to give me some protein in me. Right. You know what I mean? I'd spread it on the little bread and eat it with some of their canned jellies. And we look outside and there's like a thousand people standing in the street and we're like, what the fuck's going on out there? And their general just comes up to us and is like, we will take Kabul today. And we all kind of looked at each other and we're like, yeah, just like that. Like what, what makes you think we could do that? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I know we've been, we've been kicking ass for the last, you know, a couple months here and we're, you know, we're doing some, you know, it, you, you know, you, everywhere you go, you win the fight again, you're going to build a little confidence and, and cockiness and arrogance of what you do. Like, you want to fuck with me? Like I'll, I'll call my F 14 buddies and we'll come kick the shit out. You know what I mean? It was like, we, we are the bully now, you know, mm-hmm. we're the big kid on the block. You know what I mean? Cause anytime they came to, anytime they try to put up a fight, we not only would we, you know, super, we, I mean, we think about it too. We had M 24s, we had SR 25s, you know, like, you know, and, and we, and we had M four. So we, and we're two or threes on them. So we dominated every, you know, and their, their guys are doing the same thing ours guys are doing. They're putting their weapons up and firing over walls, right? Like sure. they had zero, you know, basic rifle marksmanship and, and we're literally picking dudes off at random with an SR-25 or M24. Like we're just, we're just, it was, it wasn't even a fair fight, man. It was like the mm-hmm. Packers playing a high school team. Like we were just sure. dominating every fight that we got in, you know what I mean? And we we're taking little to no casualties. Like every once in a while, you know, one of their dudes would get, you know, they'd hit us with a mortar and got to take shrapnel or we would get a straight round, just ricochet off something. Cause they would never like, they weren't even close to hitting us anytime. They were like, there's a part in the book where they mortared the, um, the tower while we were in it. That it was pretty fucking scary one day. Like the, <laughs> literally like they were just like up there and all of a sudden, boom, you're like, Oh, that was a close one. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden they started hitting us and they were walking it in and you know, it literally, cause you know, the tower, you have the tower and then you have a small building on this side and a small building on this side. So it's like building tower building. And they hit the building like right at the base of the tower and this huge fireball comes in because we didn't have any windows in the tower. Right. Yeah. So literally it was like one of those, you know, movies where everybody dies to the floor and the flames come in, you know, over the window, over your heads. And you're just like, Whoa. And you could feel the heat, you know, of the explosion. Like and oh, wow. everybody's, you know, and it was, it was like the best way I'll never forget it. 
JT, do you remember in uh, Beverly Hills Cop at the end when they're in the compound and the two Beverly Hills cops are like fighting and they're like trying to lift the dude over the wall. Yeah. And they finally get the dude over the wall. And as soon as they go over the wall on the other side, like machine gun fire goes over the wall and they just missed them. And literally that taggart dude looks at me. He's like, what the fuck am I doing here? You know, we all kind of <laughs> look at each other and we're just like, what the fuck are we doing here, man? This is stupid. We're fucking die. Like it, it was, it was like, it was just absurd. Like, why, why are we fighting people? Like, this is, I don't want to play this game anymore. Like, if, if we have a chance of that shit happening, I don't like that was too fucking close. And so it was, uh, that was, that was pretty scary, but it was, we had been doing that for so long. All of a sudden we're confident and our partner forces gained the confidence with us that they were now somewhat invincible. Right. So they took it upon themselves. Like, Hey man, we're going to take the city today. And it was just like, what, 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 and they were, were like, I, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. And I, you know, let me call higher and blah, 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 blah. And we're calling up. We're like, just sort of like go up to call it back up to, to, you know, K2, like, Hey man, these guys are moving out of the city and dead silence. Like, can you repeat last? You know, like, no, we're moving out of the city. And they're like, don't like, don't <laughs> like, do, do that. Yeah. Fucking You've been there 60 days, dude. What do you think the you're army, doing? Yeah, the army said they needed a year. They needed six months to stage and another yeah, six months to organize forces. One, we can't support you in any way. Right. Like, there's, you're on, you know, we can't send 10 dudes in. If you go there, you're going to die, right? We can't right. support you in any way. And two, we want to do it. <laughs> and, and, oh, you know by the mean? way, yeah, like, yeah. This is, this is. Like, we have to tell big army. Like, remember, even though they're, you know, just so did the Joint Special Operations Command. They're not in charge of shit, right? Like, Big Army is still in charge of everything, right? Like, Big Army, Big Air Force, they're still... The joint, chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff is not an SF dude. Right. He's in charge right. of the SF dude. Yeah. So when he gets told, hey, man, RSF guys are taking your city, and he's like, no, 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 no. We already have strategic battle plans of how that's going to play out. We're going to send in the 82nd and we're going to mm -hmm. send in, the, we're going to bring in mechanized infantry and we're going to bring our tanks in and we're going to surround it and we're going to move in strategically and go block by block. We, we don't, we can't have some random fucking, you know, cowboy SF dudes running through the city shooting people. Right. Are you insane? You know what I mean? And we're like, look, I don't think you understand. They're going. What do you want us to do? Do you want us to continue and hang, you know, and, you know, the, the commander was, mom was, was very, he was like, I'll take the heat, man. Put your hooks in, go with us. Let us know what's going on. Good luck to you. You know what I mean? So we're like, okay, you know, they're leaving in five minutes. What do we do? Tight. Draw a freaking football play in the dirt team, you know, alpha team, you're going with the guys on the, on the West Bravo team. You're going guys on, on, on the East. Right. And so the East had was pretty much a road that went straight from Bagram to the, the northeast of the city, right? Mm -hmm. And it was like between, there was like a little bit of hills, mountains or whatever. So we had to go through this mountain pass, right? Obviously they're going to have their, you know, ZU-23s or whatever at the top of the mountain, be able to shoot up or shoot down to protect the city. The west side was like a big plain, mm -hmm. right? And you didn't want to go to the west because the right. west was like straight up old school, you know, armored vehicles, their APCs, their vehicles, their tanks, their, their, Toyota Hilux with the, with the freaking, you know, 30 cals on the back shooting at nobody wanted to go West because that's where the fight was. Right. Like right. the East was pretty. And I can tell you without hedge, no bullshit. Calvin Markham did it alone. Right. Like that dude, you want to talk about if there was to make, like, I get it. You know, Chapman's a bad motherfucker. You know, got a movie, whatever. This dude should have a movie made about him. 
right? Like he literally, I got a picture of this dude. Like he separated himself. He went with the guys in the West, but he separated himself from both. Took a freaking dudes with Jeeps, got in a Jeep by himself with a partner force, took a Jeep and just drove up straight up a mountain so he could have eyes on both sides. From that vantage point, got birds on, literally was calling in anything they could send us. We're taking the city. Give me everything you got. And literally flight after flight after flight of, you know, flight of two, flight of two out of, out of freaking off this bird, off this ship, flight of two out of France, flight of two out of freaking Uzbek, flight of two here, B-52 comes in. Like this dude, I got two on there. Be like, Hey, you two, I want you on the West. Use it. Use US one as your, as your line of march. Stay west of that road. Circle over there. You know, you freaking, you know, he had Marine F-14s over here. Air Force F-16s over here circling these dudes. And he's just literally like no different than an air traffic. I hear the hardest ATC job on the planet is to be the air traffic controller at Fort Rucker during a flight school, right? Because you got 50 students up and they're like, it's so chaotic. They only work those guys like 30 minutes at a time and they have to go outside because their Mm -hmm. brain is scrambled because they got so many moving parts and with horrible student pilots, all these different, you know, you got, you got, you know, little birds and, and helicopter and, and news helicopters and Apaches and 47s and like in Blackhawks, like everybody's circling at the same time, do it like most chaotic. What Cal did that day was probably synonymous to that, right? Like he had so many different birds moving and he just never missed a beat, man. And so I went with the guys on the East. We literally, I got pictures of us. Literally, we called it the Trail of Tears. Like a thousand people on one road driving towards the city, and us in vehicles, like up and down the you know the dirt next to the road, like trying to trying to keep these cats from going nuts. And while we were moving down the road, remember that mo- when the Taliban took Kabul, they forced a lot of people out of their houses to the northern plains or whatever. So they had mm-hmm. all these they these people went from living in the city to went in these dirt huts out in the middle of nowhere, right? Well, these people are like, where the fuck's everybody going? They're like, oh, we're taking, they're taking, you know, the Northern Alliance is taking Kabul. And they're like, well, I'm, I'm going to go get my house back. I want my house right? back, right? Or better yet, better yet. A Aaron better house. house. I'm going to go get Aaron's house. Now we're talking about it. First. Yeah. It's mine. Yeah. So that's what I would do. I'm here for it. So as we're moving down, right, with our 500 Northern Alliance, all of a sudden it started growing and growing and growing because civilians started to jump online with us. And we're like, Oh man, like we gotta, we gotta make sure we stay in front of these people because they're like fighting to get first because they're like they want to, they want first dibs. Sure, we find when we get in the city, right? But if we don't fight our way in, they're gonna all get slaughtered <laughs> as they go in there, right? So we're like, we're like it was, it was probably one of the most chaotic days of my entire life, right? But it was, it was crazy. So we were like, and you know, we're talking to Cal. He's talking to us. What are you guys seeing? What do you need? He's talking to them. What are you guys seeing? What do you guys need? What do you guys need? And so literally like in an instant, just as we're hitting the city, man, he, the birds come in and t- you know, freaking bird one takes out gunning gun protection on the, on the left side mountain of the road. Bird two he talks him in on that one takes like literally just as we're hitting, just as we're about to get in a fight, boom, boom. And we go through the middle like a football play. And it was, you couldn't, you couldn't have made a movie scene that was more perfectly timed than what we did to go in the city that day because of what he called in. It was, it was, I mean, again, we'd all be dead, man. Like they literally had bird's eye view looking down on a road from mountaintops with machine gun freaking nests 
dug in that could have killed anybody on that road hundreds of meters up the road without us being able to return fire with any accuracy on them at all. You know what I mean? And literally we look up and both of them explode literally one after one goes 10 seconds later the other goes and we go through the fucking mountain pass. Like it was nothing. It was the most, I mean, talk about just serendipity, destiny, whatever you want to call it, man. It was just, it was just a fucking bad motherfucker doing his job at the top, top of his life. It was like watching, you know, Aaron Rodgers win a Super Bowl. It was like watching Peyton Manning, how he would run an offense. It was just a dude that was absolutely, it was like watching Tiger Woods tear apart Augusta. It was like a dude at the top of his profession doing his craft better than anybody else could do at the time. And it was, I mean, just, just to be witness to it was fucking, I was like, you know, it was, Billy Madison, when he's the dude's playing the freaking violin and he's like, eh, he's good. It was like that, right? Like this right. dude's fucking good. You know what I mean? Like Whoo. I'm with, I'm with that dude. You yeah. I'm with mean? it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm with it. And I'm so with, I'm with dad. Yeah. So we get into the city and so now we immediately delineation from, you know, rule to urban like change tactics, right? Like now we're no longer in a, in a rule fight. We're in, you know, we've been fighting out in the sticks for two months. All of a sudden, boom, we're going street by street in a city, which absolutely nobody can. I don't care how good people think they are in this line of work. Taking a city is fucking stupid, right? Like you're, <laughs> you're, if it was, if right. it was possible, right. And people ask me for 20 years after the fact of like, tell me about Afghanistan. How come we're not winning? And blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, yeah, it's not like we're going up against a bunch of dudes in uniform that says, you know, I am Taliban. Right. right. Like when we're in the army or whatever, we wear a unit patch, right? Like it's not like these dudes are wearing unit patches that say Taliban. It's like literally, if it was that easy, there would be no crime in America, right? It's right. like saying, hey, man, we want you to go into Chicago and kill all the Packer fans. <laughs> right. Like, okay. Right. Like, how do you, how do you find them? Right. Like, right. how do you know? Right. Like, unless you come to me and be like, hey, bro. Homeboy, he's got an Aaron Rodgers jersey on the wall in his house, man. Like, did right. you know that? Like, that's pretty much how we fought the war for 20 years, right? We were taking word of mouth from assets that we had established that, hey, this dude's, you know, on the hook with the bad guys. And we yep. had to believe him. It's no different than what the cops are doing now. Like, hey, they try to get a CI or whatever. Like, hey, who's dealing drugs and who's the bad guys or whatever? They're trying to get people to narc each other up. And that's all the only way you can do it, right? Right. Unless you're living in that town and you know everybody in that town. So that's, that's, that's so, but the original one is, you know, if you're carrying a gun and you're not one of us, you're one of them. Right. You know what I mean? So that's pretty much how we do it. So again, we hit the city, draw a little, you know, dirt, you know, sand table, like, Hey, let's do a football play in the dirt. You ever play that game risk when you were a kid oh, yeah. a dice and a bunch of little Roman numerals and you had to take over the world. Mm -hmm. Right. There's two ways to play risk, right? There's like strategically maneuver your forces and attack with like Napoleon. Or you could put all your assholes into one country, take a, dominate the next country and leave one room and rule behind you and <laughs> hopefully not dwindle all your forces. That's how we took off. We're like, we're going to take a block. We're going to leave one asshole on a corner and then we're going to take another block. Right. And that's pretty much how we went through the city. Right. And we still have no idea what's going on with Alpha Team on, over at the West. Right. Because they had a big fight going on. And so we're taking the city and I actually told this story the other day. Uh, at a at a function that we speak at, um, there, we're we're going through city and it it started to slow down, 
right? Like we started to get a little more resistance. Mm-hmm. We started taking some casualties. We started questioning whether or not we had bit off more than we could chew. Is this really what we should be doing? Right? Like this is, this is not fun anymore, right? Like right. Out there in the fields where we had massive open area and fields of fire and we could dominate with our skill set here. You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know if they're in buildings shooting down at you or you don't know if the next, you know, corner you go to, that's going to be the third Mongolian horde. You have no idea what's coming. And so it's, things started slowing down. And as we started spreading out, you know, our forces started to get smaller and smaller as we went. And it, let's just say morale was starting to drop pretty fucking fiercely. Right. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, the ground beneath our feet starts to shake. Right. Buildings are freaking doing this. Glass is falling out of buildings. We're like, what the fuck has just happened? What, what is going on? And then you start hearing it. Right. And we look over at Frank and he's on the radio and he just starts smiling and he's like, proof through the night, boys. And we knew exactly what he meant right away. Right. Like bombs bursting in air. You know, our flag is still there. Those boys are on the other side. Cal had dropped a B 52 strike on those dudes and just literally laid waste to everything in their path. And they moved in on the city on their side. Now we got two sides going and we're just fucking, it was just, we got this sense of emotion and power and just a great, you ever see, you know, uh, Avengers Endgame at the end when Captain America stand there by himself and he like tightens up his shield and fucking dudes are coming at him like the third Mongolian horde and he stand there by himself and all of a sudden, you hear on your left and all the mm-hmm. yellow circles come out and fucking this fucking spider dude comes out and the fucking magic dude <laughs> oh, yeah. comes out and the yep. Wakanda people come out and they're just like, yeah, we, I got to fucking live that in war, man. And it was just, um, I mean, in 24 hours, we had taken the entire city and we were standing on the steps with the other team on the steps of the American embassy. And it was just, it was the most insane 24 hours of my life. And it's, something that no one can ever take away from me. And it's just an immortal fucking mission set. And it's, it's, it became the, the, the air of legends, like books got written about us and movies got made about us and freaking, you know, guys did interviews and we were, I was on, you know, MSNBC frontline and freaking PBS and freaking, they did a bunch of, you know, we did a bunch of interviews and we got, we got super famous for all of fucking 38 seconds. Right. In fact, <laughs> um, the, one of my, one of my best buds was a dude and, and, um, on task force ranger. So he's in Somalia and he was actually a guy played him in the movie black up down. Um, and, and I was like, and him and I talked about it all the time and he was like, Hey bro, like super proud of you. I saw, I, I read the article or I saw you on TV and, and I was like, and, and then literally a year later, Iraq kicks off and we're completely forgotten about, right. you know what I mean? Cause right. I'm like, motherfucker, you got to milk that shit for 12 years, Twice. man, before fucking happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and here I, I get my fucking glory and it's gone in fucking 30 days because Bush decides to go to Iraq. So yep. nobody knew, nobody gave a shit about the nickel after that. You know, Shock and awe happened and to go in Iraq. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so we we got our excitement and then it's fucking left us and nobody gave a shit about fucking Afghanistan. In the community though, like, you know, I went to a couple of years later, I came down on a SWIC tour. I came down on orders to go to SWIC and they 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 were smart, right? Like they leveraged me as much as they could and had me do a lot of talks with the freaking guys in the Q course about what we did and put together a slideshow and you know, show the pictures and kind of explain what we did, you know, give a little talks or whatever to kind of help motivate the younger dudes, like, hey. You know, what you're doing is no joke. Here's a dude that actually did it and freaking was the first guy there and freaking blah, 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 blah. So there was a little bit of, 
you know, not, I wouldn't say fame, but there was definitely a little bit of, of no in the community of, you know, who I was and got a little recognition sometimes or whatever. It didn't mean shit. I didn't get promoted. I didn't get rewards. I didn't get <laughs> right. I got a, There's no I extra pat on the back. And how do you do? No, I right. got zero pay. Yeah, fact, zero I extra lost pay. pay because when I went to Swift, they took me off dive status. <laughs> right, so, so then you didn't even get, didn't even get your hazard pay. <laughs> if I wasn't diving anymore, I got penalized two seventy five a month for taking off dive pay. For Good for you. You earned that. Take that, nerd. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Scott, we're gonna, so while I was, yeah. we got to have you on for a part two because I definitely want to talk about all the PA stuff. Um, you know, as, as we kind of like wrap up the, you know, the, the feelings from Afghanistan right. and stuff. Um, so we're going to talk about that in a second one. I just want to put that out there before, uh, before we get too far okay. into it. So keep going, man. Um, well, while I was that, that's a perfect, um, segue because while I was in SWIC a couple years later doing my SWIC tour, I was home every night and instead of, Going out drinking on Tuesday night, I just went to night school and took all my prereqs for, for PA school and, um, got, got absolutely smacked in the, in the PP and denied because of my, my age and my time in service. They were taking age waivers or time in service waivers at the time. So they were like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. We don't want to be a part of it. So I did my couple years at SWIC. I, I made E8 and went back to the teams and was a team starting a 575 back in seventh group. And they just called me out of nowhere and said, Hey man, like they're taking waivers again. And you're a prime candidate. If you want to be PA, we'll grandfather you from last year's list. Just again, absolutely don't belong, but got accepted and freaking <laughs> went on to be PA. So I, I was a team starting for a couple of years in, in fifth group, went to Iraq with them, went to freaking, um, and prepped for, for another Afghanistan trip and then went on to PA school and, and became an army doc. So I did that for, for eight more years. Um, as a, as an army PA, I did a couple of years in the 101st with them because they, the, the army is pretty, pretty, pretty good about wanting you to learn what right looks like before you start beating the system. So they were like, mm-hmm. we're going to send you to the regular army for a couple of years before we send you back to group and have you start, sure. we're going to let you learn the system before you start trying to beat the system. So we know you're all going to be criminals anyway. So let's at least let you show you what right looks like first. And it was good for me. I mean, so I did a, a 14 month deployment with the 101st as a PA, which was uh, both very a great learning experience for me and um and for my medical career and for for um it was painful as fuck because it was working having been in saw for 20 years and then see how the regular army does business and how just absolutely structured everything was and you know how the the you know in soft you're very you're very end state oriented mm-hmm you know what I mean? This is what, the, this is what I want. This is what I want it to look like when I'm done. I don't really care how you get there, but this is what sure. I want it to look like when you're done. You're like, Roger that and you move out and you just figure it out as you go. Right. And the, and the regular army, it's like, no, these are the steps we have to go to get there. We, what you, why are you on step? You're doing step five shit, dude. We're still on step two here. Mm-hmm. And so they would just stop everything until step two was that box was checked before they move on to step three, because that's what doctrine was. And you're right. just like, this is absolutely insane that this is how you guys are fighting a war, right? Like where's the violence of action? Where's the freaking aggression? Where's the freaking taking the fight to the enemy? Where's, you know, that's, that's, we, we're not at that step yet. In fact, that's, you know, those are, those are tenants of CQB and not freaking war. Not doctrine. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, 7-8 dictates that we set up this and we make this cool PowerPoint slide with all the arrows of how our forces are going to maneuver. And that's how we fight the war. Like I've, I've never, I, I was just in shock and awe that that's, um, that, but that's, that's the reality of, of, of a machine, right? Like that's what machines do. Cause if you just let, you know, a platoon of regular army dudes go do what 10 guys free for all, it would be chaos every time. Every time. So I totally got it. Right. And, Cause I would go on patrol with these dudes. I'd be like, hey, you know, like, you know, I'm going to go with you guys down to, you know, Jellowar and we're going to go do this. And, and and I would go along with them and I'd, I'd watch them get in firefights. And they, you know, it was like, you know, all of a sudden you you go on patrol and, and guys would start shooting at you. And they'd be like, everybody would just drop, get behind walls and set up a defensive posture. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, assault through the objective, right? Yeah. Like, what are, you, what are we doing here? Let's, you know, you guys put down suppressive fire. Let's move on these motherfuckers. And they're like, no, doc, no, 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 man. They, that's how, that's what they want you to do because they're going to set IEDs and we're going to maneuver and they're going to blow us up. And I'm like, that probably happened once in the last five years. And now all of a sudden it's a TTP of the enemy. Like, you know what they won't respond to? If we just kill everyone that shoots at us. Right. Yeah. Right? Their like TTPs that, are changed. Yeah. They'll stop shooting at us. Right? right. You know, but if they just take, if they just take pot shots at you while you're walking with a platoon and then you stop and huddle and they run away, they're going to do it again tomorrow. Right. But that's just yeah. the way they were set up. So well, it was weird. Yeah. One of the, uh, the first time I heard that we were doing some operations up near Kanduz. This is, you know, later in the war in Afghanistan, but we were, we were warm basing out of Mez, right? Like the little warm base over at Masri Sharif. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because, uh, one of those agency dudes, um, you know, we got there and we were in Bagram and we were taking in incoming every single day, like rockets, you know, three or four times a day and constant CRAM engagements. And one of them hit like the tent next to us and heard a bunch of contractors. We had to do all this other stuff. And there was, there was a bunch of stories about just getting, you know, rockets lobbed um, from the surrounding areas of Bagram. So we get up to Mez and we literally look at this guy and we're like, bro, the village is right over this wall. I was like, you, you're walking around, like he's walking around civilian clothes, like no gun, like walk, just shorts and stuff. I'm like, bro, the village is right there. I was like, when was the last time you you guys got like attacked up here? And he's like, Oh, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. And I was like, Are you are you joking? He's like, No, no, no. They did that a couple times, and then all of the tier one dudes just went to the village and killed everybody that did it and told them they were gonna do it again if they got attacked, and that pretty much ended it. <laughs> we were just like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is I mean that is a technique. People they, they what what big army and I don't know how to say this without being politically correct. Is once you bring it, once you once you bring JAG to a war, oh, yeah. it changes everything. You're right, right? Like, when, yeah. I mean, there. I have a buddy who's one of my best friends is an Apache pilot. He was on the teams with me as a Charlie. And remember, we talked about he. I got a really good team. He got a really shitty team, right? And and he had a bad team sergeant, horrible mm-hmm. dude, horrible personality. Yep. God complex exploded the team, right? Like a guy put two guys put in for swick tours. One guy, John went to flight school. One guy put in for PA school. One guy put in for OCS and two guys just got out of the army altogether. So they just exploded the entire detachment. Right. Yep. But John went to, went to flight school. And of course being a fucking, you know, SF dude, they gave him, they're like, you're going to be a gunship. We're going to make you a gun bunny. Like you, you obviously have the mentality for it. So they put him in Apaches. And like, dude, I mean, dude, freaking you put an SF dude in an Apache, like that thing is doesn't, does, I mean, he could unload his entire payload in 17 seconds if he wanted to. Like sure. it, was a, it is a, it is a killing machine. The only thing that thing does do is that dude has, you know, a couple trips to Iraq, a couple trips to Afghanistan. This dude's killed more people than smallpox. He's freaking <laughs> just dealing death in there. But he was sure. like, when I land, I would land after like, he would go out and support SF dudes and they would call and he'd be like, Hey, you know, this is, you know, 
Are, are you saying you have troops in contact with TGP and you can identify, identify PID? Yeah, I'm engaging. And like he would walk them through sure. the talk on, you know what I mean? Right. But he would land and he's like, as soon as I would land, they would come out and take the DVD out of my Apache. And then they would sit in the talk and with the lawyers, did he have PID right there? Did he engage in that target? But, and he was like, that was guys didn't want to go up because they know that everything that they did, every word that they said that is being recorded is going up in front of a tribunal of some kind. So right. every commander knew that every mistake that they did or anytime that, that they had engagement or got given a conscience that, that talks were listening and shit was getting recorded and that they could lose their career. So it, it definitely affected the way that they did business. And I can mm-hmm. tell you that one of the, one of the main reasons why that mission was so successful with the nickel is because we had a bunch of jackasses with zero adult supervision. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm yeah, not saying that 100%. we went forward and committed any war crimes. Of course. Like that. We were, right. we, but we were extremely violent mm-hmm. and we, ext- and we were like, no man, like you shoot at us. We are going to end everything around you. Yep. Like we absolutely went in fully engaged that, Hey man, we're going to, when we get shot at, we're going to make you not want to do that to us anymore. Like yeah. every time that we came under engagement, we, unle- you know, we, the whole death blossom thing, we unleash death blossom every time. So what a fantastic, like, like, like we fucking fantastic yeah. reference on the death blossom. It, it, the, the, yeah. The audience out there probably skews a little bit younger. Go watch the movie, the last Starfighter. Yeah. That's a fantastic reference. Great work there. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, but that was our, that was our mentality, but that was back. Like I said, man, like that was back when we had a very strong air of vengeance going in. Whereas after that, the trips after that, it was very businesslike. Like you said, Mm -hmm. it was like, this is what we're doing here while we're here. You know, let's try not to make any waves. Let's try not to freaking cause it. Let's try to bring everybody home. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was, that was, uh, but during that time, in in the my first couple of years as a PA in the 101st, it was it was I got a lot of experience. I mean, as bad as they were at what they did, mm-hmm. I got a lot of experience, right? Like I was sure. I was a doc out in the middle of nowhere. So every time casualties happened, they got brought to me. So I got a fuckload of experience. I got to work with I got to go up and work at the at the FST with the, mm-hmm. the flight sur- you know, with the, the forward surgical team, what they did like a, a surgical team in a in a deployed environment, you know, in a makeshift tent that mm-hmm. was doing traumatic, you know, trauma surgery. And then I got to work uh, when I went back to seventh group, a couple trips, you know, trips, f- succession trip after that, I got to work at every level. I was, I was treat casualties at point of injury. I got to have guys evacuated back to me. I got to work in the FST and I got to work in uh, Kandahar at, at Brown there at freaking roll three in Kandahar. So I was got to work with the surgeons coming in. In that time, I got to do a, um, I did a trauma fellowship at Vanderbilt for a year working with the top, trauma surgeons in the army at the time they were doing their fellowships there guy named kirby gross and tim nunez who ended up going back to vanderbilt and being the fellow the trauma fellow at vanderbilt and he was a he's an old jsoc surgeon and i mean he was like oh you're gonna be uh, you're you're gonna be an sfpa you're an sfpa like come with me and he just took me under his wing and be like when and sat in the trauma suites and when guys would come in off the helicopters to vanderbilt he would put me up in the throne and be like run it Run, you know, tell me, cause you're not going to be the one working on the dudes. You're going to be running your deltas or running your medics. So I want mm-hmm. you to run this crew. So he absolutely taught me everything about trauma. And that kind of, that small window in time in medicine kind of changed my entire perspective on life. I don't know if that's a, that's kind of a big statement, but it went, it took me from being a fake it till you make it guy to a data driven guy. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause we're all full of shit. And we talked about it before, right? Like everyone is full of shit. Right? Everybody. Right. But, and, and that's fine 
being an SF dude, right? Like you can fake it till you make it and you can say I'm cooler than I am like, you know, in the fight game, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm a fucking, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a blue belt and fucking Gracie Jiu-Jitsu or fucking, you know, I'm a trainer or JJ Mikado or whatever. Like mm-hmm. you can throw some words out there. Like I know Kanagatane and Hamagurishi and you can throw all these words out there. It makes you sound like you know what you're talking about. But when the fucking dude hits the mat, you can't lie anymore, right? Like you, you're, you're not full of shit anymore. Medicine is very similar to that, right? Like you, everyone is full of shit, but nobody cares what your opinion is, right? Because there's only one rule in medicine, right? And that's what does the data say, mm-hmm. right? Nobody wants my opinion in medicine. And, and when I work in an ER, when I'm working in a clinic and guys come to me, you're not coming to me to think, to see if, to ask my opinion on what you should do for your sickness, right? Like you don't want my opinion. I guarantee you right now, you don't want my opinion, right? Right? Because I'm a moron. Right. Like somewhere <laughs> yeah, there yeah. is a, a, some Chinese kid that did a meta-analysis of 10,000 patients and 19 case studies and figure out that this particular protocol and drug is the treatment of choice for that particular disease process. Right? Mm-hmm. You want to know if I know the data. Did you right. read that guy's data? Did you read that study that he did? Because I want you to regurgitate what that smart guys are doing. The smart guys are the one gathering the data and putting together these studies and doing all that stuff. You want to know if I know the data. So that changed, like we were, we were in an OR one time and this guy got shot in the chest multiple times. So he's cracking this guy's chest open. He's doing, he's like, all right, Scotty, what do you do for, for blah, blah, blah in a chest wound? And I gave him some bullshit 18 Delta PowerPoint slide answer. Right. And he just stopped. I'll never forget it, man. Like he was like head down doing his thing and he just went, get out. And I was like, what? He was like, get out. He's like, that's some bullshit PowerPoint answer. What you're going to do is you're going to go to the fucking library at, at Vanderbilt. You're going to go to the library. You're going to read five studies on thoracic chest trauma. You're going to read, not only going to read those studies, but the references at the bottom of that study that has like 20 references, you're going to go read all those references. And then each one of those studies that you read is going to have references. You're going to go read the references that the references referenced, right? And we call that going three deep. You can mm-hmm. read the study, read the references, and then read the references that those references reference. And that's called going 3D. And for the rest of the year at Vanderbilt, everybody called me 3D. I didn't have a name. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't Captain Zastro or whatever. I was, hey, 3D, come here. Because once you go 3 deep on any particular subject, you now know what you're talking about because you have enough data underneath you to under, and you've seen it come from every different, everything that's, that's been failed is why it failed. Everything that's been proven to work is why it's proven to work. And that just showed me that everything I had done up until my life to that point was totally full of shit. Every slide deck that I was given as an 18 Delta or in PA school was just so thin on that top layer of we do this because of this. None of it is ever evidence-based. None of it was put to the test. My wife's a psychologist. She calls it the one-inch test. When people start running their mouth, if you scrape one inch off their knowledge base, they don't know anything more about that. Right. They're just talking shit to talk shit. I saw this on MSNBC or I saw this on Fox News or I read this on social media or whatever. That's the extent of their knowledge base and everything. The world is absurd, right? Like everybody's full of shit. And it's very hard to operate with that in the back of your head, right? Like I feel bad for smart people, right? Like the PhD people, because they're walking around knowing that everyone is fucking stupid, right? right? And running their mouth. And, and that's, and that's why I just stopped having an opinion on thing because when somebody be like, Hey, what do you think about this? As soon as you ask them one thing more than the news snippet that they know, you know, that they're totally fucking worthless in that, in that particular section on life. And it just doesn't, it just makes me, look at everybody like a moron and I don't want to do that. So I just don't talk about it. Right. Like I'm like, Hey, you know, where are we playing tomorrow? What's your golf game? 
You know what I mean? So <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's definitely because, and it goes back to what we said before about there is no such thing as a real 18 Delta, right? Like to be a good dental guy, you got to be fucking dedicated to do that. To be a good veterinary guy, you got to be pretty dedicated to do that. To be a good trauma guy, mm-hmm. you got to be pretty dedicated to do that. And I would get in a lot of trouble with the command when I got back to group as a doc because they had this unrealistic view of what an 18 Delta was or what a soft medic was or mm-hmm. ranger medic was that they could do all this, you know, wazoo shit, man. And I would do training with my deltas and I would shut the door and I'd be like, look, man, you don't have to bullshit me anymore. Like I, I, I was one of you. I know what you don't know. Right. You don't have to fake it with me. Right. right. Like let's, let's focus on what I want you to know. I want you to be able to work with your hands. So when shit goes down, you can help a dude out. Right. And I want you to be able to make a phone call. Like talk to me in my language. Right. Because when somebody's sick, you have access to me nowadays with, with, you know, cell phones and, and satellite. Everybody's got Wi-Fi, baby. Computers. You can, you, you can call me and let me know what you have in front of you and I'll walk you through the treatment plan and we'll find the protocol that you're supposed to be following. Yep. Right. But when somebody needs your hands, it's probably emergent. So I need you to be good with these. Right. And then all I have to do is be able to, I don't need you to do what all these guys think that you can do. They're like, you know, the command's like, oh, these guys can do appendectomies in the field. I'm like, motherfucker, they cannot <laughs> cut somebody's belly open. And even if they could, I wouldn't let them. What the fuck is like, give, what are the five layers of the belly, dude? Give me, give me, give me the anatomical layers of the skin. And they're sure. like, duh, skin, muscle, fat. No, you no. Right. I don't want you cutting people open. Like, call for help. You know the absurdity I mean? so, of that too. Like we, we talk, we, we try to tell people like being a PJ, like medicine is a small, people are like, Oh, do you guys go to critical care paramedic school? Do you guys go to like, whatever, like, cause you guys are, you guys are, you know, medics, whatever. I can't even explain it to somebody. You, you have distilled it in such a way. Like not only are we expected to do, to do that, but like, just think about high angle rescue. Like somebody is no kidding, hanging off right. of a cliff. Like, do you know the complexity of the, you can't just tie a there rope to something. There are people that do just that for a living. A li- right? And they like die. People think because. And, and it right. kills the best people. And like, I'm a scuba diver, you know, as And they well, expect you it, to do it once when it's necessary. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I haven't done it in months. I've not done it since going to school. <laughs> Exactly. Well, right. that, and I talk about being a jump master too. I don't know how many times I've left a military airplane and been like, wait, that's a who checked, time who job. Checked, yeah. Who checked me? Am I going to be good? Oh my God. I hope one of the guys doesn't die. And Oh, by the way, I still have to do medicine right. as well. They're like, well, we just need you to be a good medic and a good shooter and good at tactics and a who's jump the, master. Who's the best jump master you ever, you'll ever know the guy teaching at jump master. Exactly. Cause yeah. he does it every day, all day. That's right? it. Who, right. The best medicine you will ever do as a PJ is just when you got out of critical care school. That's it. The best trauma I have ever been was right after I did a year in Vanderbilt. Right. Right. Like and that's then all you I did. got down range and I started, and when I was in the OR every day at, at Kandahar working with a trauma surgeon as, as second cut and receiving guys in, right. Like that was the best I went. The, the, uh, the second time I was best in medicine is when they made me the director of the, the medical director for the, school of combat medicine at Fort Campbell because I was teaching it every day. So I was reading every day and I was in front of students and we were going through scenarios and I was putting them on the field and watching because you, when you teach something, you pretty much see every fuck up that's going to happen from a retard, right? Like you're putting, <laughs> when you put 50 retards through a school a month, you're going to see stuff that you've never seen before. And now right. in your head, 
you know what not to do, right? Sure. Like, I've seen 50 ways in one class of how not to treat a casualty. Got it. I, yeah. Therefore, like I, I tell my son all the time, right? My kids in E5 and the army now, and I'm like, and he's like, oh, man, I'm scared to go in, you know? And I got a buddy whose kid is in the Q course right now. And I'm like, look, man, you're going to figure out what to do. Like it, you're, you're by process of elimination, you're going to figure out what to do. I can tell you this. The best thing you can do is learn what not to do. Yep. Because when you look across and put yourself a bunch of, of other peers, if you just figure out what people are getting in trouble for and not do that, like yep. showing up late, being a fatty, freaking running your mouth when you're not, if you just don't do that stuff, <laughs> you're automatically going to be better than your peers. Right. Right. So it's not about, it's not always about maybe excelling or it's like playing golf, right? Like it, the, to be a scratch golfer, you don't have to make a bunch of birdies. You just have to not make doubles. Yeah, sure. Right. Like if you just don't put it in the water, you'll play better. Right. right? You won't take as many penalty shots. You'll play better. That's the secret to anything in life, right? If you just remove the fuck ups, what's left is a pretty good product. Right. So that's pretty much been my life mantra, man. Like I'm just, I'm not going to fuck up like that guy. And in fact, the, the, the worst parts of my life were my biggest fuck ups. Right. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that again. And that was the best part about being in our community is that they gave you the, the range band to fuck up within and not make it a career ender or make it so devastating. They were, it, it's like good parenting, right? Like here's your range fan. I'm going to allow you to operate as much as you want within this. And when you start going over towards this boundary, I'm going to push you back in and say, okay, that's too far, but I can go back in. And then I'm going to let you go again and have you figure it out in there. In today's society with all this structured and I, you know, I'm allowed to do this and I can do that. There's no free form room to go because you have zero chance, zero room for fuck ups and zero tolerance for any kind of mistake. And that's just not a way for for people to grow through experience, right? Like that's, that's, that's all we are is the sum of our fuck ups. You know what I mean? You know, Scott, usually we end on advice. Like I would have asked you what's your advice, but for the last two and a half to three minutes, you just absolutely freaking killed it, man. So that feels like a good place to end. Dude. Thanks for coming uh, on, man. Can we spend two minutes about on Povat? Yeah, absolutely. After I got absolutely. Out? Yeah. 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 Just, just to kind of, so, just to kind of give a, um, a once over the world of, of why we're here and, and how we met and, and why we're doing this today. And that's just because I'm, you know, I can tell you that as, as badass as I ha consider myself in my own mind. And as my nieces and nephews look up to their cool SF uncle, um, there's, there's little I've done in my career that gives me as much job satisfaction and pride as what we're doing now. If that makes sense, um, just being able to help out dudes in our community for this. So, um, for those who don't know who I am, don't know what we're doing, um, I work for uh, um, I, for a foundation called Project One Bed at a Time. Um, when I got out of the military, I thought I was supposed to do what everybody else was supposed to do, right? Like get a real job. So I went and got a job at ER, and because that's where the big money is, right? Like I thought grownups had to work. And it was fucking miserable, right? Like working with, you know, going from pulling sick call on a bunch of SF dudes to going to pull sick call at Walmart was absolutely eye opening and a culture shock. I was unprepared for, right? Like I was unprepared for the weakness of humanity outside of the military bubble that I had been living in, right? So I was coming home miserable. I was doing 12 hour shifts. 
coming home miserable every night. You know what I mean? The, just the ridiculous, you know, reasons why people go to ERs nowadays because they don't have health insurance and, you know, it's the easiest way to walk in and get, get seen like an urgent care clinic. And, you know, as a, as a PA, you're going to see all the mid-level BS, right? Like the headaches, the belly pains, the, the sniffles sure. and whatever. And you got, you know, grown ass 40 year old men coming to the ER because they woke up this morning with the sniffles. You know what I mean? It's just not something I was thought I was going to get into, right? I thought I was going to be in emergency medicine, but you're not going to do emergency medicine in an ER. ERs are just, you know, walk-in clinics at this point, mm-hmm. um, except for the random car accident or gunshot wound or whatever. Sure. So uh, my wife actually made the suggestion that I, you know, seek other employment because she's like, you, you, you sacrifice 30 years of your life to be miserable every day. Like that's absolutely insane. Right. And she's a psychologist. So she's like, this is, you know, you're, you're, this is not what you should be doing with your life. I'm telling you right now, professionally, this is, this is unhealthy for your mental well being. And out of nowhere, I got an email from the VA saying, Hey, we're looking for a part-time guy to do CMP exams. And I was like, I don't know mm-hmm. what that is, but I'll do it. I'm your guy. Right. So it was part-time and it was, I went through a little bit of a training period, right. I had to do a month of training for the VA. And I'm the one that does the exams for guys when they put in for VA disability. And so different categories of dudes, guys getting out of the military right out, right? So active duty guys getting out of the military, guys who have never filed before, just never thought they were, you know, had access to it or whatever. And then guys who have filed before, but disagree with their ratings, right? So I'm the guy that you fill out the paperwork, they would send you for exam. I'm the guy that did the exam and do it. So I knew all... You know, I knew how the paperwork went. I knew the protocols. I knew the, the the pipeline. I know why guys get approved, why they get denied, why they get increased from a zero. What's the delineation between a zero, a 10, and a 20, and that kind of stuff. So I did that for a bunch of years until COVID hit. And then, as you know, the government completely shut down, right? Like COVID hit, they just shut us all down. They mm-hmm. just they came to me and they look, man, like we don't know when you're going to – we don't know how long this is going on. It could be two months, it could be three months, it could be six months, it could be a year, but we can't see patients anymore. Mm-hmm. So I know that you got to feed your family. You might want to go get a new job or whatever, but you know, you can't come back to work until further notice. And I was like, well, that kind of sucks. You know what I mean? So either one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to be hurting for money or I'm going to realize I didn't need this fucking job to begin with. So <laughs> right. I never really put it. I was like, cool, I'm going to go play because for some reason, Florida put golf on the essential activities list. So it never put a dent in my lifestyle, right? Nice. The only thing that changed was when you went to the golf course, they told you you couldn't share a buggy. You had to have your own cart. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, kick ass, right? So it actually sped up play a little bit because you're not driving back and forth. So my life never even changed. I just stepped, kept playing golf every day. And then Cal went through the, the problems that he had with mm-hmm. his VA rating, right? Yep. He called me up one day and he's like, hey, man, like I'm having these problems. You know, do you have any recommendations? And I'm like, well, you got to deny this because of this. And this is what happened. And this is what she did on the paperwork and blah, 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 blah. It's a no brainer. You're just going to have to file a, a, you know, a supplemental claim and file the stuff and, you know, go to appeals. So we called some people he knew they got involved lawyer. They, they got him re-looked at. He had the right, you know, said the magic words, the right phrase. And he got bumped back up and he's like, Hey man, that's, that's, that's awesome. And then he called me, you know, like a couple weeks later and he's like, Hey, I got this guy. Can you look at his case? you know, look at his stuff. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I looked at his stuff and he got bumped up and he's like, look, man, like I got a couple dudes that we want to help dudes like in our community, like deal with this ridiculous process that's in front of us. Right. So we, we want to bring you on and, and have you be like our medical consultant for this foundation and kind of like, we'll, we'll go out and raise money. And because right now there's, he's like, there's a bunch of people out there. There's a bunch of, and you can go online and search these people. There's a bunch of, of businesses that do this for a living that charge 
like $5,000 to look at your case. And they, you know, they, they, you know, have a medical guy look at the medical records. They have, you know, a medical records reviewer. They have a guy that helps you file your claims. They have a guy that, um, you know, helps go through the regulations with you. They have, they have send you to doctors or whatever. And all that costs money out of pocket, but no, no dude's going to pay, you know, not, not too many retired E4s have, you know, five, six grand sitting around to right. go maybe try to get a 10% bump on their VA rating. So they just kind of blow it off. Well, what Cal said is like, he's like, instead of, we look at those guys as like a galaxy of cars outside of post, right? Like anybody who makes their living off of fucking Joe out of money is dead to me, right? Like, sure. You know, he's like the guy that you take, you're on the no fly list, right? Like the, the off limits establishment list, like on post, like we would put those guys on it. Like you're, you're making it like you're, you may be helping some guys and you're just maybe that way, but these guys, they charge you five grand up front. They take 50% of any increase that you get, whether it's lump sum or an increase in pay. It's just not, it's, it's, it's not worth it to most mm-hmm. of us. So he's like, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go, we're going to start a foundation and we're going to get donations and we're going to ask rich people and we're going to have golf tournaments and we're going to like anything anybody else does for 501c and we're going to take that money and we're going to pay for the medical records review. We're going to pay for anytime they need to see a doctor, whether it's a CT, MRI or whatever, we're going to pay for that. We're going to pay to have their, their records uploaded and scanned. We're going to pay for you to go, go through other shit and walk them through the process and kind of look at their case and, and put it all together and zap and wrap it and go. And so Joe comes out, with no money charging absolutely zero cost zero dollar to use our to use our organization and we we help people with their ratings and i've been doing this for a couple of years with these guys now we've helped hundreds of dudes i keep track of the data of the guys that i've helped and kind of you know because i keep a spreadsheet of everybody i've helped and then you know where they're at when we start and what they have and and as of this week i think I, i don't know if i got it on my on my um desktop here but I kind of keep a running tab. I'm at 100 and 130 grand a month for as of now of a couple hundred guys I've done and the increases that they've gotten. So that comes out to like one and a half million dollars a year back into these dudes' pockets, you know. And that doesn't even count the tax breaks and the educational benefits, and not only that, but the just you know the the sheer weight of the out of their rucksack that they don't have to deal with these motherfuckers anymore. And they don't have to worry about, you know, having a roof over their heads or feeding their family or a car payment or whatever. Cause they got a couple extra hundred bucks in their pocket or whatever. But when you can, you know, when you can say that, and it, again, you know, it costs money to put guys through this program, right? So it's not like we can just open up and say, Hey, you know, we'll take everybody in. It's a referral based organization. So if we do a veteran, like he finds a buddy of his or another SF dude or PJ or CCT or SEAL or, you know, ground branch guy or whatever that needs our help, they, 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 they get referred to us and we go try to raise another, you know, it costs anywhere between 4,700 and nine grand to put a guy through the program, depending on what level they're at, whether they need a lawyer to appeal a decision and actually go to court with them and fight it and file the paperwork and all that stuff. If they don't need any legal representation, we could do it for less than five grand a piece, which is pretty, pretty cheap, but we still need less than five grand, right? So we, you know, we, we, we try to do the goal is to do, I think they did like 10 guys the first year, 25 guys the second year. And the goal was to do 50 this year, but we're already over 60 and it's freaking July. You know what I mean? So we're, we might hit a hundred dudes this year, but think about a hundred dudes. Like that's, you know, at five grand a piece, that's $500,000, right? Like that's, you know, at, at, 
at an average, you know, and that's if you need more than that. So, and that doesn't even count, you know, these guys running a golf tournament or something like that. You might spend 20 grand to make 50. Right. You know what I mean? So yep. you've got to have that money too. So there, there's, and, and then you have to pay your, your, you know, your, your consultants and your whatever. We have a case manager. Like the, the, the best thing about this organization is the CEO does, the board doesn't get any money. The CEO doesn't take a salary. The only people that get paid in the organization are the cons- people that they consult to do the job that would do it. Right. Cause there's, you know, just, just in what I do alone, there's four, there's four jobs, right? There's a medical record reviewer. There's a guy who files the claims. There's a guys that, that, walk you through all the regulations, regulations on it. And you got to have the time to be able to do this as a side gig, right? So we have a case manager that kind of puts it all in. We have an administrative assistant. Like, so we got to pay them. So you, you need pr- to do a hundred guys. You probably need a million dollars a year to an organization. Right. Yeah. right? And so you, you got to have, you got to have a solicitor that's who, whose only job is dedicated out there to go do fundraising and solicit these big organizations to donate. Cause you know, you remember back in the day they had the combined federal campaign. Mm-hmm. Remember they would yep. go to Joe and say, "Hey, donate fifty bucks a month to the Red Cross and start an allotment." But when I came in, that was like a, a two-page, you know, pamphlet. Right now, that book is this. Thick, it's, yeah, it's forty-five right? pages. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of veterans organizations out there. So those those are the people that we have to compete with for ducats, right? Like mm-hmm. you have to go to a business and they're like, "Ah, we're already given to." you know, folds of honor or, you know, the seal foundation or the, the, you know, the PJ foundation, the CCT mm-hmm. foundation, or, or the freaking you know, the, the, we give a puppy to PTSD foundation sure. or whatever. And we have to compete with those for dollars, man. And it's not easy. Right. Cause what we do is boring as shit. Right? Like <laughs> right. we're, yeah. we're, think about it. The only people that think that what we do is cool is the freaking you know, insurance guy. Right, right. The accountant in the back of the room, right? He's right. like, well, I'll give 20 bucks to that. That's accounting shit right. because we're nerdy, right? We're going through thousands of pages of medical records. We're going through your VA case files in the past to see if they had screwed everything up, right? To see if you, you got to, you know, because when I work for the VA, we, our own internal auditing is that 86% of vets have an incorrect VA rating, right? Wow. And you're like, okay. That's yeah. So that's a wild moment, right? Like that's an oh shit moment, but it's, it's not as bad as you think, right? Like that may be as simple as a guy that's never filed before, Mm -hmm. right? Like he, he was, he's deserving of, of, of a rating because he was, you know, he had some stuff wrong with him when he was in, he just never filed. So that's an incorrect rating. You were given a zero for your ankle when you obviously should have gotten a 10 for it. That's an incorrect rating. And they, they gathered these, these, this data by how many people that were in service that never filed, by how many people that have filed that have a rating that was, that were, that were, that were put in for increases that were denied claims because in 35% of all claims are denied because of administrative clerical errors in the VA's part. So at okay. least one out of three dudes that gets a VA rating is automatically got a wrong rating just because of, pay, you know, the, sure. the, the, the wrong form was filled out or this box wasn't checked or yeah, I mean, anybody that's, you know, listening to you right now, that's been in the military knows that, you know, has tried to submit an award for a kid that gets kicked back five times because the font was wrong right. because it wasn't, you know, 1.2 inches on the margin instead of 1.15 inches. On the margin. Like that shit happens because it's still a government run organization. Right. right. And, it, and, and 
I'm not trying to say that it's a bad organization because the Department of Veteran Affairs is actually a very good organization. It's good medicine. It's good for, you know, they get good. They have no problem paying people when they, when a claim is approved and, and proven that it's, that it's correct. It's absolutely good, but it's still a bureaucratic organization, right? Sure, it still has right. a bunch of moving parts. And when people are like, Oh man, the VA fucked me and they did it, they talk to it like it's a guy. Like it's Jeff. <laughs> right. you know, yeah. VA like He's it's one, it's you know, one guy. Uh, yeah. Jeff hates me. And I've been in, I've been in internal meetings in this organization and in other organizations where like, you know, I'm tired of the VA's and, and you know, attitude of not helping. I'm like, dude, you're talking to it like it's a guy. It's not an attitude in the VA. It's a very bureaucratic. It's a, it's a massive bureaucratic government run organization. Yeah. And all the, what we are good at at our organization is what we say all the time. We out VA the VA. We play their game better than than they do, right? It's no different than being an SF guy. We find out what the rules are and we use them to our advantage, right? Nice. We, yeah. we, we make sure that the paperwork is absolutely spot on 100 correct by getting it in front of somebody who knows what they're looking at before we submit it, right? Like the, yeah. what are the T's that are need to be crossed and the I's that need to be dotted? We're going to fill it out for you and we're going to put it in front of our subject matter expert. He's going to be like, nope, that was supposed to say X, Y, and Z. You filed it under, you filed it under claim 5008 and it should have been a 5006. All right, let's redo the paperwork before we submit it and we make sure that it's right. Before people are going in, we're like, okay, what is the regulation state about your claim, right? Like, why do people get denied claims, right? Like, it's because, you know, like it could be something as simple as when you went through and you hurt your back, that they call the guy that wrote you up in your records for it called it, you know, pain in the back, mm -hmm. lumbar pain. You know what I mean? And you can't file for anything, left knee pain, pain in the left knee, right? That just because there's an ICD type code for it in the, in the, in the, in medicine doesn't mean it's a claimable thing, right? Like to the VA, pain in the left knee is a symptom. Sure. What's causing the left, the pain in the left knee? Is it tendonitis? Is it an ACL tear? Is it a meniscal tear? If it's a specific line number item, they'll compensate you for it. But if it's just pain, that's a symptom and you can't get a claim for that. Yep. So that's, there's a lot of people that are deserving of ratings that were never documented correctly in their file because they was written wrong. And it's by no fault to them. It's because as providers, we, everything's electronic now, right? Like we're not hand jamming notes anymore. We have right. an electronic medical record. So everything's kind of handed to me. All I do is click buttons. So if I type in the word knee, the first one that comes up says pain in the left knee. I'm gonna click that as the diagnosis. Right. And I just screwed the guy. Right? right. So it's not his fault. So that, and, but that's fixable, right? We can, we can, we, we have a fix for that and we can get guys ratings, right? The VA is very, it's very, it's very point blank. It's no different than army regulations. Like, Hey, like we have 670-1 in the army uniform code regulations, right? You can either wear the hat or you can't cut and dry, right? Like it says you can do this or you can't. The VA is the same way. There's a regulation over everything. If you see what the regulation is, you meet the regulation, you get the rating. It's that easy. It's really no. Good.